are back. You're listening to You Would Think, the Philadelphia Flyers podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Collington, and uh, joined again, Mr. Kevin Dursow. How are you, bud? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing okay. It's been a minute. You know, I flubbed the intro a little bit, but it's been a while since we've been here. We got a lot Barely. to get in. We got a lot to get into today. Huge Flyers trades, huge front office news, huge everything. We're going to start on the Stanley Cup. Before we get into that, mm-hmm. um, follow us on Twitter at YWT Podcast. Follow Kevin at Kevin underscore Durso. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and find us everywhere you find your podcasts, uh, including sportstalkphilly.com. Okay. So the point, by the way, so the point of the whole show here is supposed to be that all we were supposed to have to talk about was the Stanley Cup final, right? Right. We came in. Thinking that this was going to be a Vegas heavy show. Well, our we last show was moves. right. Our last show was the preview of the Stanley well, right. final. Whoever won, you know what I mean. But no, I, no, mean, no, I know. But I'm even saying in the conversations that we were oh, having no, during the course of the series. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying like our last show was just the preview of the Cup final, thinking the next show would be just the Here's Cup who final. Won. Let's and, talk about and, it. And a couple of quick hitters on where now what happens because now that it's over everything can start to pick up so we thought we'll get to that later right we didn't expect things to happen you know right after game three (laughs) right we expected things to happen at the draft uh we will get to like i said we will get to all the flyer stuff in just a few minutes here but we do have to start with the stanley cup final uh in a series that was not the best series by any stretch of the imagination in terms of competitive competitiveness. Although it was fun, it was physical, it was entertaining hockey. Um, the result here, we, in case you haven't heard somehow here, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights win the Stanley Cup in five games over the Florida Panthers, uh, lifting the cup on home ice six short years into their existence, breaking the Flyers record for the qu- quickest uh, expansion team to win a cup. Congratulations to Vegas, and it really is incredible what a wagon they've put together and how good that team is and how much we talk about teams embodying a city and nobody embodies doubling down and going for it more than the Vegas Golden Knights, and it finally pays off. They hit the jackpot. They win the Stanley Cup. I'm going to start counting how many Vegas puns you include in this whole thing. Because, uh, no, seriously. There's too many not to. It's too well, good. And, and seriously, I was actually, like, as I was preparing notes for all the flyer stuff we're going to get to, I know that I use a line that it's like, oh, this is going to tie all of it together perfectly. It's probably going to be the title of the show when we get to it. You'll probably be able okay. to pick it out if you're listening. Okay. Um, but, no, I mean, you, 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 and you know what I, I was going to bring up kind of to add on to what you just said is, because we talked about this the last time when we were previewing the cup final, a pretty much completely different team than when they started. I yep. mean, not a lot of original Vegas Golden Knights on the team. It was six. six of them. So you turn over more than half your team. It's pretty impressive what they were able to put together in six years' time. Yeah, and out of those six, by the way, I did want to mention the uh, move by uh, Vegas Golden Knights coach Bruce Cassidy to start five original Golden Knights in Game 5, the series clincher at home. Awesome. That's a guy... <laughs> who knows how to do all the little things right. And even though they looked like garbage for the first five minutes because all their lines were thrown out of whack because we started five guys who don't play together, that's okay <laughs> because that's the kind of thing – it's so important for a franchise in its early days to lay down a good foundation. Sure. And that's the sort of thing that legend is built off of, right? When they tell the story of the 2023 Vegas Golden Knights – it starts obviously with the expansion draft, mm-hmm. 
but it ends with those guys in the center of it. It ends with your core guys. It ends with Marshall. Sure. It ends with Riley. It ends with Carlson, McNabb. Jay Theodore. They just did yeah. everything right. They do. Oh, yeah. And well, and look, of course, when you're up 3-1 in the series going to game five, you kind of have the luxury of let's mess up the lines for the first five minutes. And, right. and, and, and you know, and you have some wiggle room. Fight. So absolutely you do. Um, I guess do we want to take it from the top and then work our way to the uh, kind of tail end and then the yeah. overall reflection, if you will, because because game one was actually a really good game. A great hot game. game. The best game of the series by far. By um, far, I don't know opinion. if it was the best for for me. I mean, because because I think Game Three was a standout too. Because I mean, it's the only one that Florida won, obviously. That's but like, fair. you're looking for competitive games. Three and four were very competitive too, and I think that that that, is that helped. Um, but game Game One was a really good game. Flor- Florida scores first, so right away you're thinking, here we go again. The magic run is gonna keep going. Like, it's all it was already fueled up to begin with, and now here they go. They they take the lead in Game One of the Stanley Cup Final. And then Vegas works their way back, takes the lead. Florida tied it late in the second period, by the way. And I st- I kind of thought at that point in time, maybe watch out for Florida because those late goals are backbreakers. But yep. credit to Vegas, who is, you know, again, we're going to say this a lot over the next five minutes. Vegas was so good as a team that they just, they got goals when they needed to. The play that Mark Stone makes for the fourth one, that's pretty much a dagger in the last six minutes of game one. That the near, I mean, near high stick, but I, the way I saw it, it was good. It hits the bottom of the blade. So yeah, it was good. It's, it's, it's a weird one. It's weird, but, but it's such an impressive play. And I've got a whole section in my notes just on, I mean, I made a lot of, if you were following me on Instagram and watching the reels, I, I came up after game five after the Stanley Cup had been won. And in about 10 minutes, knocked out like five videos on different <laughs> subjects on that team that I was willing to discuss because there was enough to discuss. But, but game one goes like that, and then game two was total domination. It was like it was such a blowout. It got Man. it got kind of boring, honestly. And yeah. I remember looking at Florida after that game, and as much as I was wondering if they were finished, also wondering or thinking of remember what the Flyers had to do in 2010. And it's like you know when you go home, it changes a little bit. See if you can't turn this into the best of three. Right. And game three was almost so close to the way that that played out. Man. That, okay, like, you watch them find their way back into it, and a really gutsy win on Florida's part, because right away, I mean, one of the most series-changing things that happens is in Game 3, because that's when Matthew Kachuk gets hit, goes down, stumbles off the ice, you're thinking concussion, turns out it was, turns out he did go through protocol, but that's (sighs) not what it was, Um, and... Crazy. He misses a he misses what a full period between when the hit took place and when he finally comes back and all that yep. stuff like that, and then oh by the way and of course now even more impressive knowing what we know now scored the game tying goal is driving the net on the game winning goal it's like and there's no reason to bury the lead on that by the way in case you haven't heard he um, fractured sternum yeah <laughs> and played all of game four with yeah. fractured sternum right and then had to miss game five and then couldn't play game five because hey by the way his sternum was broken hello. Turns out that's the part that like holds your whole entire body together. The the, the scary part is, is I don't know if that's the one that gets me the most or what they said with that Ekblad was going through. At oh, the end. oh, Aaron Ekblad was a zombie. Oh my because, God. You want me to read that one off really yeah, quick? Yeah, please do. 
Okay, he broke his foot in the first, in the in game one of the opening series against Boston, I believe is what they said. So yeah, and by oh, the way, hello so, hockey skates. Yeah, oh, so, broken foot. So, so he played four rounds basically on a broken foot. They his shoulder popped out twice. They popped it back in. He had a torn what torn oblique, I think, is what he had also. So you, like yeah. You know, which you only need to be able to move, you know, your body laterally to be able to twist and, you know, kind of contort your body to make movements on the ice. So how he played, I don't know. But and you had so you had him. Radko Gudis had a high ankle sprain. Um, there was other Sam Bennett was dealing with a whole host of things. Etu Lusterinen had a broken tibia. Like, come on. And he. He at least didn't play in the cup. Right, the, the Florida Panthers really did pay for the physical hockey that they played through the first three rounds. And, and and to me, that's the thing. Like it was it was evident once game four was over that they were the they were the walking wounded. And it was pretty, you know, I, I remember going into that, you know, one of the videos I made, I said Vegas is poised to win this thing in game five because of where it all is. I mean, it, it was collective. The frustration on the part of the Panthers, the fans look. I, I'm not. I'm not trying. We we make fun. You know. I know there's a lot of jokes made about Florida. No, Panthers that Florida fans. fan base was great. They they were great until Game Four when when the game's finally over. You didn't have to do that. That's fair. That was the only That's unfortunate part because because for the whole playoff you were great. You right. were absolutely outstanding. And all I could think about watching is they're throwing more stuff. I'm not talking about just throwing the rats. Like the rats is right. obvious. I, obviously, water bottles in the beat. Right. Oh, it is. Well, right. yeah, sure, because guess what? In Vegas, they're throwing pink flamingos on the ice. Right, and, and everything's rubber, and we all know we're all having a good time. And, and no, fine. and in Nashville, it's catfish, and it's and we thought that was cool because it's unique to your team. It's like Detroit with the octopus. It's like, but okay. when we when we get into cups and cans and, and etc. No, and we, water we bottles and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, don't, don't throw full us. water bottles on the ice, please, or full beer cans or anything Don't like throw that. the commemorative light bracelets. Come on now. Exactly. Um. And I just kind of sat there thinking about because I'm like, you know what? That might – it sure feels like that's going to be the last game in Florida. And if it is, it's a really bad way to go out. Yeah. At all. It's – But it's you know, one of those things that Florida was that team through the entire run that you're still thinking. Oh, if, yeah. I, I know. If oh, you're they thinking managed to win – You're you thinking know, 3-1 again too. Well, right. And if they managed to squeak by Vegas and, you know, obviously the game didn't go their way. Matthew Kachuk didn't play it got pretty out of hand but if you can if you can manage to squeeze through in that game then mm -hmm. you come back you play game six at home you're gonna have all you know the fans on your you know you're hot you're going here we go and then of course anything happens in a game seven and you right just, in game you six know, when you, whenever you play you just game, roll the dice <laughs> yeah and whenever you play a game six in the stanley cup final when you're the home team for game six Everybody in the building knows it's your last home game. There's no tomorrow at that point. We, like the next, there's only one more game to go. It's not going to be at home. So they're bringing their all because this is all that's left. You know. So I get it. Um, but I, you, you're right with game five. Like as soon as Kachuk wasn't playing, you knew it was going to be a challenge. And when the first goal was scored and it's Mark Stone shorthanded, and I turned around right away and said, my wife was in the room, and I said, it's done. over. Yep. I said, it's over. I knew right then and there. And and Matthew Kachuk honestly made about as good a case a player can make for uh, a skater can make for the con Smythe on the losing team. Pretty close. Yeah. I mean, because, like my God, the entire run, he was incredibly clutch. Yep. Every goal he scored seemed like it was an overtime winner or it set up the winner or Mm -hmm. It just everything Matthew Kachuk did this run was magical. I, I do remember 
like I guess maybe it was the morning after or something like that that the uh, that the voting results for Con Smythe came out. Somebody did give him a third place vote. Good. Like in terms of that, yeah. Even though they were going to lose, obviously by the time the votes were cast, obviously because they Correct. they do they do it right up. Like I think five minutes before we're handing the last, out the cup, right. practically. Like if there's five minutes left in the game, you submit your vote right then and there. Um, and somebody did, yeah, at least one. I I think I saw I gave him a third place because most of it most of it was consistent and you know like it it was exactly the way you would expect it to. Um, so let's go into this. Uh, I had a really rough post. I don't know about you. I mean, you we both picked against them in this final, but you had better picks throughout the course of this thing. Yeah. I, I picked Vegas to beat the Jets and then doubted them the rest of the way through because I picked Edmonton, I picked Dallas, and I picked Florida. And I got it wrong every time. Um, but I have to give them full credit here because it, it, we've already said it a couple different times. They're just a really talented team. Um, Aiden we, Hill? How have we not mentioned Aiden Hill during I know. this conversation? Oh, I, I have, now I'm getting into the sections where we talk Insane. about all the players. Insane. Um, now, I know there will be talk about how the LTIR space was used, and I'm going to say the same thing that I said with Tampa. Don't hate the player, hate the game. You be know, ma- Be mad if, that your general manager is not smart enough to do that. If the league allows for such a loophole to exist, don't hate on good GMs and hockey operations departments. And I'm let's shout out the two who we know are behind this one, George McPhee and, Kel- and Kelly McCrimmon, yep. for exploiting it. Don't, don't hate on them for exploiting a loophole that's in the CBA that works f- towards your advantage. Um, but really, and this goes back to kind of bring everything full circle, the makeup of the team is what I really look at because – the original guys played really well. And I, I had said this kind of ties into the con Smythe conversation we were just having. Um, Cause I, I remember going into the series. I'd said, I really thought it was probably Eichel was in the lead, but, but Marcia. So and Carlson have entered the conversation. Yep. And Marcia. So had already scored plenty of goals in the playoffs before this series. And then without, he, without scoring a single one in the first round, by the way, believe and it or not. And then he scored in the first three games of the series. Uh, so he's a very worthy winner of that trophy. As much as you could have also said, Eichel gets it, Carlson gets it, Stone gets it, Hill gets it. You could have picked plenty of guys, and everybody would have been able to be like, "Yeah, that makes sense." Yeah. But but Marcheseau was a very worthy winner of it. And um, there is the original Golden Knight angle, which it worked. It, it worked out. It but. certainly doesn't work against his favor here. Uh, but either way, it, it really was not a very good series. But no, can, but again, uh, so. I think the the biggest problem that Florida ran into real quick, and then we will kind of put a bow yeah, on. I'm this touching here. on a couple. I'm touching on a couple of players with quick notes, and then we'll move on. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the thing about Florida is, and I mentioned it, is that they had too long of a break, and the magic died, and everybody got to feel all their injuries and went, "Ow, this really hurts." Yeah. And I, there's nothing you can do, right? When you beat the Carolina Hurricanes in four games, you're not going to look well, a gift horse in the mouth. And, and then, well, then while you're at it, though, too, I think probably, I mean, I would have to assume coming into the series that Matthew Kachuk was as healthy as you can be. Oh, yeah. For that time of year. Like, you're, yeah, you're dealing with bumps and bruises. I get that. But, like, he didn't have the fractured sternum going uh, in. Right. No, of course. Vegas takes, absolutely took their pound of flesh in right. this series. He took, he took a hit. Something happened. And there you go. Right. Um, I want to bring one one more note on Matthew Kachuk here before I just shut up about him because holy crow, (laughs) Uh, the hit on Jack Eichel, holy cow, clean as a whistle. 
I believe it was. it was in game two. Well, Eichel's falling, so yes, it's clean as it was. Well, sure, but even the contact was shoulder to shoulder, and obviously Eichel toe-picked into it. Mm-hmm. But man, that is about... And he, I heard high-level people talking, looking at his skates and looking at how he approached it, and I think he actually let up a little bit. Uh, Probably. But I mean, it's, that's it's, about... It's but that's about as hard as you can hit somebody. Sure. Like, that was monstrous. And if the series had turned, it that hit would have been a non-zero part of it. Well, all right. So I got a few notes on a few different players. And, yeah. and then I we'll guess, get into fire stuff. Well, and, and I guess I'm going to start. You, you kind of segue nicely for me because I want to start with Jack Eichel. because He was so good. No, but man, was it good to see him bounce back the way that, you know, everybody, to the form that everybody knew he had, like – this is and I'll give and I'll put a flyers angle on it for this because it gives me hope about Joel Farabee not to the Jack Eichel level Joel Farabee is not Jack Eichel but it gives me hope that he will be what he was go through this surgery and come out the other side and look look the part at least 100 percent and I Eichel was so good in this like like honestly I really did think they were giving Eichel the con Smythe as it got closer to the end just because of how good he had been consistently throughout. Not and, that Marsh so wasn't. I mean, Marsh so ev- went on run right at the right time. But And everybody cringed a little when Eichel took that hit because of the history with the neck and because of how violent the hit yeah. was. And But he just he, came back looking better. I mean, honestly. He jumped up looking mad. He was swearing his tail off leaving the ice. <laughs> um, but then he came back and looked good and mm-hmm. said that you – know, for the record, want to give him a ton of credit too because he said after the game, clean as a whistle. Yeah. Absolutely. Great hit. Sometimes and you got to respect that. And honestly, sometimes it's what's needed because we spend I'd already talked about this way before like previous series. We spend we spend way too much time looking at stuff under a microscope in super slow motion to try to determine these things. And I understand the reason that we do it. We do it because player safety doesn't do their job sometimes. And we, do <laughs> the, and we do it because the officials sometimes get these things wrong in the moment. But it's nice when the player himself who took the hit is sitting here telling you, my bad, I toe-picked and my head was down and I took a hit and it was clean. And, and I, don't I think play everybody kind of universally agrees that that hit was pretty clean. And, yeah. you know, that's especially true um, when Jack Eichel says it. So. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah. So my next point includes Eichel in it and it includes another player I want to talk about but this kind of goes back to the front office of Vegas because one of the things I admire about this team and I wrote about this the day after because I do as I do every year I kind of write a big here's here's the team that won what what you should be looking because everybody knows it's copycat league anyway so um I what I admire Vegas for doing is and I tweeted this too during game five Taking big swings, th- taking the gambles on players, or at least when, when the opportunity is there, throwing all caution to the wind and saying, we're just, you know, is that that guy's available? We're going to go get him, you know, and they did it. They did it with Mark Stone. They did it with Jack Eichel in trades, and they did it with Alex Petrangelo in free agency. And yep. it was, you know, these are, and here we go. Here comes the line. These are the acquisitions that you make when you go all in. When, when you're you taking say, a gamble. When you push the chips to the center of the table and say, we're going for it, you get guys like that. And and Stone had been on teams that have come close. And Petrangelo was a captain of a Stanley Cup team. And Eichel was talented enough had to be never made the that. playoffs. No, but was talented enough to be that quality player. And you knew these were game changers. By the and, way, do you think do you think he texted Connor McDavid right after they won? <laughs> 
I don't know. He he. I will say on um. Fr- what was it? Fr- Friday night or Saturday night? Sorry, it was the parade was Saturday. He looked like he was having the time of his life though. At the I I could see Jack Eichel just pulling up Connor McDavid, typing out one dash zero send. <laughs> I like I like it though. It'd be pretty funny. Um. So I guess my next player note is going to be on another player I just mentioned, Mark Stone, because I've said this before. I think on this show, every team needs that player. Every best team two, should have a player in the league. Every team should have a Mark Stone on their team. Every team should want all around the, the all around ability that he has. Like you said, the two like the two way ability, his yeah. lead, his leadership, his passion for the game. Man, he's, you can see it in the final. He's everything. Too. He's everything you want in a player. Every time you see Mark Stone, he's screaming. Like, yeah, pretty much. And not not at somebody. Just just pure energy and. Mark Stone. Wow. Are you what, not? What and, else can you say? Well, and are you not going to tell me when he scores shorthanded in Game Five? You're sitting there going, "Because who, who else? Who else was going to do it first? Of course. Of course, we have a Mark Stone shorty. Come on. Um. All right. Last note on a player, and then I do want to get to Bruce Cassidy for a second as well. Yeah. But the last player is the guy you said. How have we not mentioned him? It's Aiden, Aiden Hill. Hill. Um. Because first of all, it's a great story. He's the fourth goalie that they've used throughout the and and he was still Insane. effective, obviously. But I think the biggest thing to talk about is the save in game one. That's the series changer. That's what starts to make you think this time it's going to be different. They were on the opposite end of that save five years ago, six years ago, when When they made the cup final in their first year. And now it's like, is this what we're going to talk about forever? And I can't tell you how many times I've seen that picture. It's going to be everywhere. I was going to say, when I talked earlier about franchises laying down foundations and – establishing lore that has to be the save capital T capital S like it it, it has to be yes as far as the Vegas Golden Knights go that is the save as in the save parentheses that won us the cup parentheses sure that's it and end of story that's the save Aiden Hill is the guy because it because all of this happened so quickly there's a lot of things where you'll be able to title in their franchise's history like whatever because they never you, had a cap. Well, they you, never had a ready? cap. Go ahead. You ready for a bold take here? Okay, go ahead. I'm going to sit up for this one. Okay. I'm going to sit up too. As far as the Vegas Golden Knights go, that's the first statue outside T-Mobile. What's that? Oh, the save? It, the save. The, maybe you're right. I mean, Aiden Hill a- lunging back across the net. Put that's the just the heel of the stick catching the puck, but, but yeah, but what? But which makes it even more, which kind of made it more impressive than even Insane. the whole one. It was incredible, but um, you're right. So okay, so that's the save. They'd never had a captain in France, like that's so. True. So Mark Stone is going to be forever the captain, the first guy. He's he's like, there, Bobby Clark. Right, he is the captain. Yep. I kind of think it. I know he. I know Bobby Clark wasn't the Flyers' first captain. No, I know, but but, but well, no, but like, but he is the captain now. Obviously, um, I think that among the group of six, Marsha so winning Con Smythe probably makes him the original Golden Knight. I agree. Like he's the quintessential well, original Golden Knight. And and if you go back to that first run, he was kind of the guy during that run too. He he's was part the guy. Of it. He well, I, I mean, big, he was key, the media part. guy, right? He was the guy pulling up to games in the Golden Knights colored Lamborghinis that he was borrowing <laughs> from a billionaire in Vegas. That's was, right. Uh huh. That was Jonathan Marchessault, baby. Well, did you um, did you see Jonathan Marchessault was the one who bitched to the media about the San Jose call the following year? He is the original Golden Knight. 
Well, by the way, did you see the clip that floated around afterwards where he's walking around, he's holding the con Smythe, and he looks around and he goes, where can I put this thing? Like, guys, seriously, I, where can I put it? I want to put it down. I want to put it down. Where can I put this thing? It was, which is great. Um, he And, 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 and nobody and, was happier for him than William Carlson at I was that about parade, to say, by he the way. And William Carlson are like the, the, the duo of this whole thing because, because Carlson's – well, between – I can't tell you the number of times I've seen Carlson's speech from the parade – he wins the Chase Outley Award. <laughs> that was hysterical. Drunkest at the parade. Well, but it, the, the, the speech was hysterical. Um, oh, yeah. It, it just and, – and again, you could see between the two of them, like all of it, the fact that they'd been here for six years and, you know, coming so close the first year and then following it up with the journey. Because you're right. The journey is all the stuff with the San Jose series. The, uh, you know – Losing in conference finals on, you know, missing in weird, the playoffs. Well, missing the playoffs, but losing in the conference finals in yep. weird circumstances yep. to Dallas in the bubble and then to Montreal in the weird divisional structure that it was. That's like, their rock bottom. <laughs> missing the playoffs one time. Or, or one, twice in their eight year existence or whatever it is. Or, it, once in their six. Once in their se- six. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Once. Yeah, one okay. time they missed the playoffs. And then they, right. and they they pretty much almost, I mean, not completely. I was not close completely. But they pretty much went, all right, fine. Drop the grenade in. Let's blow it up. Change the coach. Insane. Blow it up. And we'll win next year. Which, let's t- uh, speaking of the coach, I feel, I feel really good for Bruce Cassidy, by the way. Fantastic. Um, I, I, hope because, the fir- I hope the first thing he does on his day with the cup is tweets out a picture of him sitting in the chair the Bruins fired him in. <laughs> I, well, he I got was, fired I, in his own home. Like, come well, on now. Right. And. He wasn't the problem in Boston, but it was getting like it was getting to the point where it was the end of the road there. And Something I had understand to that. Like so- sometimes that happens. It's not real. Like to be honest, we could have we could be telling the same story if Florida had won and said this, saying the same thing about Paul Maurice because yep. what's the only difference is Paul Maurice stepped away from Winnipeg instead of getting unceremoniously fired like Bruce Cassidy did. <laughs> um, but but it's the same story, right? It's a guy who's sitting here saying it's just like. It's not going to happen here. I don't know how else to explain it. It's not going to happen, and, well, and, and and I can't do any more with this. The so more, it's time. The more time passes, the more it looks like the players are the problem in Winnipeg. As well, no, I know, coaching. but like, but I I just found I actually found it impressive a coach saying you're saying it's not going to go any further with me, so you might as well try something else because it's not going to happen with me. And well, I he think knew, he he knew what he knew it was time. We all know now. Oh sure, um, but but in terms of Cassidy, he got to a Cup final in 2019. And it was a game seven too. So and like, that series there. was awesome. And and oh by the way, the following year he won the Jack Adams. Like, I think he was always poised to do this in some capacity. Oh, and he's a great coach. I th- he's a great I th- coach. I I, I I respect him a ton. And I think Boston Bruins ownership would tell you that. But again, it's about about a new voice in the room, and they took yeah. that voice to the President's Trophy. So like. Uh, can you sure. really give him that hard of a time? Now, obviously, there is the whole issue of the first round, but again, that's that's a whole different issue. Well, but okay, with, no. And by the way, like that turns into revisionist history really quick because Boston, I, I know because I saw Boston fans in here saying they never should have done that, and I'm like, in the back of my mind, I didn't tweet anything towards it, but I saw other people defend, like not defending it, like justifying count, it, ca- no countering it. Oh, with, right, like, right, right. Like it's not even close to being one of the worst decisions they ever made. Like it was, it was just time. It happens. Blah blah blah. Right. And and my in my head, I'm going. You realize they don't make the coaching change. They're not winning the president's trophy and setting regular season records. You realize exactly. that, right? Because because who knows what Bergeron decides after last year? Krejci's not coming back. Like it was well known they weren't going to do this anymore. Yep. They kind of so had their. If you wanted dance. to run it back, if you wanted to run it back with a group that you knew was 
willing to run it back, it wasn't going to be under Bruce Cassidy. So, you know, all right, I know the trade-off isn't what you want. You know, who cares? We said that at the very beginning, right? Who cares about the regular season records when it ends in seven games in the first round? Kind of true, but you wouldn't have had all that if not for making the coaching change to an extent because you yep. wouldn't have had the same team if that's the case. And, you know, we, we talk about the Vegas Golden Knights taking risks and making big changes and making these big impact trades. Uh, I think it's time we switch over to the Flyers talk because Danny yep. Briere is trying his best. Um, obviously, huge trade uh, over the last couple of weeks here. Uh, the biggest piece moving out, Kevin. How will the Flyers recover from losing Hayden Hodgson? <laughs> you're you're only bringing that up because you remember his NHL Abs- debut. So absolutely, well. he scored a goal. Uh, and regardless, you were there to see it. Right. So, in case you don't know what I'm talking about at this point, obviously I'm referring to the Ivan Provorov trade. Yes. Um, Ivan Provorov, as of this recording, well, as of a couple weeks ago at this point, is no longer a Philadelphia Flyer. Uh, He is a Columbus Blue Jacket. It looks as though he will be playing under Mike Babcock next season. And it looks like uh, Mike Babcock is playing Pokemon with the 2015 (laughs) NHL draft class and just trying to catch them all. Um... (laughs) So the trade, yeah. Uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets acquire Ivan Provorov. Yep. The L.A. Kings acquire Hayden Hodgson, Kevin Connaughton, and in parentheses, thirty percent of uh, Ivan Provorov's contract. Mm-hmm. And the Philadelphia Flyers. Now, Kevin, I'm going to start reading. Yes. And I'm going to be reading for a second. So I know the Philadelphia's acquire Cal Peterson, Sean Walker, prospect Helga Granz, Columbus's 2022 first round pick. From the Kings, but whatever. It doesn't matter who it's from. Uh, Columbus's 2024 or 2025 second round pick. And the LA Kings 2024 second round pick. So that is one, two, three, four, five, six assets that the Philadelphia Flyers received. Kevin, I think that's a haul. What do you, what do you, how do you think Danny Briere did in his first trade as a Philadelphia Flyers general manager? I was incredibly impressed with what Danny Briere was able to do here. Me too. And... It shows more of his vision. It shows that this is, in fact, his show. Uh, it shows that he can do this. And, and it shows you, that they're rebuilding. Well, it does. But but the thing that was impressive to me with Briere doing this immediately is, again, like I said, it shows he can do this job. And the reason it does is because you pulled out every card you could possibly pull and went down every avenue to make a trade happen from – Salary retention, third team involved, picks, prospects, acquiring other contracts to increase the value of the picks and prospects, right? Like, he did everything. Now, I'm going to say right up front, because the first thing that stands out, obviously, the biggest piece in this deal from the Flyers' perspective is the first-round pick. Absolutely. I'm going to tell you right now, I didn't think there was a chance that they could get back into the first round of this draft. I didn't think it was going to happen at all. So that, to me, is automatically a win for the Flyers getting back into the first round. The two additional picks are also huge because we know how much draft capital the Flyers had given up in the last few years. Yep. And getting anything back, let alone three total draft picks in one shot, is exactly the approach that is needed. And by the way, not just retention, retention over multiple years. That too, yes. Two years left on that pro overall deal, by the way. 
And doing it in such a way where it's somebody else is going to have help. Somebody else paid for it. Right. Well, no, somebody else is going to help pay for it so that even then it doesn't all fall on the other team. It's like that's very forward thinking of Briere to jump into this thing head first with like, hey, listen, I got a player who I know I can move. And and let's be real about something, okay? because we're going to discuss a few other players and possible trade rumors and things like that in a couple minutes. Sure. And. I think that of the bigger player, bigger name players that could bring back a lot, this was the easiest one for the franchise to move on from because I think that the writing was also a little bit on the wall. Like, I, I think anybody else that we talk about, Briere would have a counter argument for, I could trade him, but, and like, you know what I but mean? But I don't it's, have to because, right. Right, and, and he would be justified in answering that question all for all of them that we're going to talk about. I think like to me, there's three of them. We're going to talk about specifically. Right. And, and all certain, three of them, certain names we know are gone. Certain names we know probably certain, aren't gone, but and then, certain names we know are possibly gone with not very much leverage. Correct. So, um, so you kind of already know where they're headed. These are three names we're going to get to though, that they don't have to. In fact, Briere has already said he's not actively trying to, but He's not turning any phone calls away either, which is exactly what we said the last show, yep. right? You're going to listen because that's the point. Um, let's dive back into this trade for a second, though, because I do want to talk about Helga Grands for a second because yes. I'm not going to tell you that he's going to light up the league or anything like that. He's not that level of a prospect, right. but he's a solid pickup because he's a 21-year-old right-handed defenseman. From her they are an pick, easy, correct? Yes. They aren't easy to find. Like, so. it's not, you know, you don't find guys who were taken in the first two rounds of the draft recently at 21 years old, who's a right-handed defenseman that a lot of teams would sit there and say, yeah, I'll take a chance. Why not? Yeah. Um, even if he doesn't become much more than maybe second pairing defenseman, maybe even third pairing, you do need to start somewhere with a lot of this and you need to at least get prospects like this that you can work with, be patient with and... Well. Let play through the process. See what you can accomplish with players like this. Well, and frankly, so many of our problems, so many of the Flyers' problems over the last <laughs> two decades uh, can be traced on some level back to poor development. Mm -hmm. So now as we enter a new era of Orange, uh, as we enter the Danny Briere era, as we enter the, the Dan Hilferty era, if we're really looking at it big picture. Sure. Uh, then Helga Granz, I'm looking at Helga Granz as one of the first major projects. And I'm Probably. curious to see what happens with him over the next couple of years and where mm -hmm. he goes. Because this is a guy that you acquired. This isn't a guy you inherited. This isn't a Tyson Forrester. This isn't a you know mm -hmm. one of these guys in, in the minors. This is a guy who you signed the paperwork to get him on the team. He is your responsibility. Now make something of him. Um, yeah. But but regardless of that, I really do think Danny Briere did an incredible job here. So let's wrap this portion yeah, up. We're talking absolutely. about the last the last two pieces yeah. because these are this is what you have to do to get the other stuff to get the first round pick to get to get the twenty one year old right handed defenseman prospect to get two other draft picks. You got to do something that other teams feel like helps them out a little bit. Right. And LA was looking to move salary and we saw we lit, quite literally they used it all right back up the next day because they they re-signed who they wanted to re-sign. They got they they re-signed Vladislav Gavrikov to and a contract. And that extension exactly was waiting wanted. on this deal, so. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm going to start with Sean Walker cuz this is an easy one to break down. 
this is also a really solid addition yeah. because you're taking on a contract that you should be able to move no problem, right? If you even like, want to. Or at least you should not have a problem assuming it because it's a year left at 265, right? So even whether I could first of all, it could easily become another draft pick at next year's trade deadline. That's number yep. one. If he fits in well enough that he generates interest, he can get you something in return during a year where you know you're not going to be competitive. And, and you worst can get case his number scenario, down to 1.3 if you right. retain half. And worst them. case scenario, you eat the whole contract for the whole year and he walks at the end of the year. And I know you're trying to use like you're going to use everything. And I look, believe me, based on this trade, I think that Danny Briere is going to be smart enough to look for every opportunity to do exactly what this contract allows, which is try to get one more piece in here so you're saying he probably would have traded jvr at the deadline i i don't think that briere thinks maybe i don't know does briere think that this job is as hard as chuck fletcher did maybe is the point i don't it's know so hard nobody calls and offers me anything guys <laughs> um, um anyway so, and cal cal peterson is somewhat similar now I, it's a lot more of a cap hit and it's two years left not one so i get that and so you're gonna have this for a while and there won't be a resolution to the Cal Peterson portion of this trade. I, I almost wanted to say of this trade tree because that's <laughs> exactly where my head is when this was going on. Um, but there won't be for some time. But again, but here's the thing. You're, you're gonna not going to be this year. You're going to suck next year, too. Bingo. You're not going to be competitive in the, two, in the two years that you have this contract and, anyway. So if frankly, he is, Cal Peterson is fine. Well, I, and the main thing for me is, is OK, like. I think Sean Walker's not near as big of a piece in the deal for like, hey, we're not giving up a first rounder in a deal unless like this, that, right? right. I think that Cal Peterson is possibly the ticket to the first round. I rounder. think he's the reason you get the first rounder, absolutely. So if Cal Peterson is the ticket to getting back into the first round, sure, you eat the contract and make it work for a short period of time. That's how this works. Well, and it makes your other goalie much more available. Yeah, and that's where you're going to head, right? Well, I mean, we have to, right? Like oh, that. Cal Peterson comes in. There's not really a spot for him. There's They're options, not... though. Sure. There's there's but realistically the, three. But the yeah. obvious the obvious answer, yes, is that you trade the guy who has the job that Cal Peterson's probably going to have this season. Mm. It's split I... split the job, whatever. I think the I easy still, I, answer, even then I still disagree with you, but okay, fine. Whatever, whatever the roster looks like, that's fine. But I think the easy <laughs> answer is that you trade Carter Hart, right? Okay. And obviously, there's a lot that goes into that. Well, we're gonna get into all of it. So let's just start with Carter Hart as the first more trade rumor thing, because yeah. because ironically enough, that was one of our key discussions last show was. All right, so do you consider this, you know, all that type of stuff and things like that? And even then, you know, we we kind of like we already discussed the approach to possibly trading him, the pros and cons of it, the the potential hurdles that go around it, because we did touch on that as well. And I'll bring that up again as we kind of go through this. But now there's more noise. I mean, let's put it this way. The same day that Provorov gets traded, we know like that comes out, Provorov's getting traded. He's going to Columbus. LA is involved in this deal. Here's all the pieces. We find out all this stuff. And then, oh, by the way, while all that's going on, here come reports also. They're working on a Carter Hart trade. Yep. Okay. That's Oosh, exactly. bombshell. Right. Well, as if as if Provorov wasn't enough, like, because because let's let's be real. And I th I even think I said this on air. Do you think that like who thought that the, fir the first move, 
Maybe not that Provorov wasn't going to be moved in the offseason, but who thought the first move was right. going to be Provorov? I, th I think a lot of people probably expected the first move was going to be Kevin Hayes. By the way, one more quick note on uh, Provorov just before we completely get off it. Uh, sure. That was, in terms of return, that was the perfect first trade in a rebuild. You got a first-round pick. You got some quality assets. You didn't get any super studs, but that's okay because we were restocking the cupboard, right? We talked about that on the last show. And, you got and, two second-round picks out of it. Yes, and I will add something else to your perfect first-grade yeah. thing because here's another reason why it was a perfect first trade. One of the things that I talked about on the show somewhere in the recent, in the recent episodes was about a lot of comments or, or thoughts about what you know, the the level of experience that Briere had. What do you mean an experience? He's a smart hockey guy, or well, how do we know he's good at the job? He hasn't done anything. And I said that that that's the answer right now is right. I don't know the answer to whether or not he's good at this job or can do it because we have no track record. Now and, we do. And you couldn't draw up a better first trade for Danny Briere to really earn the trust of everybody who is around this thing between within and fans of and everything that goes with the organization. If you yep. are within it, if you are part of the whole process, if you are a fan, you should feel very comfortable with the type of trade that Danny Briere made for his first trade and feel like now, let's see where the rest of this goes. Like, And, and this is a good place to tie back the Carter Hart thing for a second right. because, because I will say one thing that I will say, and I don't even know if I have this written down in, in my notes on like all the stuff that we kind of know about rumors and all that stuff like that, but doesn't it make, now that you know what he was able to do for Provorov, doesn't it start to make you at least a little bit curious about, well, what happens if he says, like, like what's the best that he thinks he can do for Carter Hart? Or what's the best, like, and, and I'm not, like, again, he's not actively trying to put together deals, but if somebody wants to get that desperate, you're sitting there going, What's the point where he sits there in his mind and says, I'm willing to go, I'm willing to push the button. So you know? the, the only thing that I think it's kind of a, a, a two pronged issue, I think, holding up a Carter Hart deal. Okay. Uh, there are a reasonable number of goalies available. Mm -hmm. Connor Hellebuck may be available. Um, there, there are several names around the league where the goaltending may be shifting around a little bit. John Gibson may be available. You never know. Um, there's an easy counter to that point, by the way, but I'll let you finish. Is it is younger than all those guys. That's one by a friggin' long shot oh, and be no. under better team control. Right. Right. Uh, the other issue, and this is something that we're probably not going to get a resolution. Well, we might get a resolution uh, on it in a couple of weeks here is hockey Canada. Right. And that is the obvious answer. And obviously, um, I, huh, we're not going to dive super far into it right now. Cause there's really not a whole lot of new information yet, but right. Obviously, that is something that could hold up any well, sort of deal for him until teams know what's in those reports. Uh, you're you know, you're not wrong. Uh, here's where I'm trying to go with this. So, because for the long, like for in the immediate after the Provorov trade, for probably about 24 hours, and we thought it was like imminent. We thought right. Carter Hart was packing there his was bags. A, there was a lot of talk, like it was imminent, and and as if the whole investigation didn't exist. Like, right, I, I like heard very... Edmonton, I heard Toronto, I heard like what well, I don't doubt everybody. that some of that's still potentially true. Well, sure. But now like now we're two weeks two weeks ahead of the Provorov trade and the first mention of this. And I, I still I still feel firmly about this because I, I'd said on air, one of the things I said on air was before all of that came out, like before all of the buzz after the Provorov trade came out, 
I would have told you that, like, yeah, you know, there's always a chance. Nobody's safe. I'll give it a 20% chance that he gets moved. But probably, you know, they, they value him a lot. They see him as a starter. They see him as a franchise goalie. I, I don't see them actively doing anything. And that goes back to the discussion we had, right? Not actively shopping him. Sure. And, and I came away from that day thinking – it feels a little bit more 50-50 now, doesn't it? Like, right. I, I don't I don't want to give a majority percentage that, like, oh, yeah, he's definitely on the move, but I don't want to definitely write it off anymore either. Like, there's a it, lot of reasons felt to not. Like, it felt like Danny Briere was doing more than just passively making it known that he might be available. Or that he was just like, yeah, I'll listen, you know? Right. right. Now, I don't – I still believe this – even after all of this, the last two weeks plus of everything since the pro rough trade and the possibility that they were working on a deal involving Carter Hart, I still don't think they want to trade him. I, I still I still think that they want to keep him. I think there are obvious hurdles that we've discussed. We just already mentioned them. The Hockey Canada investigation okay. is one. You can't, you can't sign him to a long-term contract until you know what's up with that. For sure. And, of course, the other part, and this is the part that probably is very relevant to the Flyers in this portion, is the part where he's a 24-year-old goalie that he's, that's proven he can start. And is probably going to be a very good goaltender if he gets the opportunity to play at the NHL level. So, no, so they're not going to give him away for nothing. You know, they're going to like, but we've talked about this a little bit. Now is especially the time we're a little more than a week away from the NHL draft. This is where things are going to heat up on a lot of fronts. If you are going to see significant trades made, they are going to have to happen by June 28th. And that's where we are right now. Yep. And I, I definitely don't feel like we're going to get any crazy resolution to the Hockey Canada stuff by then. That would be pretty extreme of the NHL to do that. Well, aren't aren't I believe there is some uh, some report is scheduled to be released in the next week or two here, and it had been held until after the Stanley Cup had been awarded. Because a player who was involved in the whole thing was also on a Stanley Cup roster. So there you go. You know, so how much <laughs> do we learn within the next two weeks here? I don't know if we learn enough or if we get what we want. But I to... don't know if we can get enough clarity to make a move like this. That's, that's what I'm no, saying. That's, that's what I'm. And that's yeah. where I was headed is I don't think we're going to get enough information or get the report that you want to see no. in the next two weeks. Carter and therefore Hart the, Carter Hart at the trade deadline. I think that there's going to look, you're going to hear his name for his, he's going to turn into one of those players. You're going to hear yep. his name for a long time yep. because, until there's a dealing. And, and, and one of the things that I kind of said about Carter Hart, just in general, and I'm t like removing the hockey Canada thing for a second. Not uh, sure. We have to, no, we have but, to, but and you know what I mean by saying that I'm not trying to erase but, it from well, like the situation be, because but, if the hockey Canada thing comes out negatively, his career is over. Well, that's true. We will. So we have to we have to go on the assumption that if his hockey career is going to continue, that the Hockey Canada reports come out in, in a light that is in favor to Carter Hart. We have he to, wasn't because, part of it, and, and exactly, and, and his name is clean as he as his agent said in that. Because the other side of it is awful. Yeah, you've ruined your career pretty much. I know. Yes. Um, but so my point though was is that so the amount of rumors that he's involved in, but we had this discussion when we were talking about it. It's he's not the same as Ivan Provorov going into this because Provorov is two years older. You start to factor and you factor in things like, okay, let's just hypothetically say this is year one of the rebuild coming up and it's going to take four years, like two, you know, two or three seasons is generous. Like you would love to be through a big chunk of it by then and contending for playoff spots in three years, but let's say four to five is really the, 
predictable or ac- average length of something like that this. you expect it right? right so let's say but let's let's go on the shorter end and just say four years just for the hell of it right yeah yeah in four years time ivan Provrov's going to be 30 and he's been playing since he was 19 years old yep so he'll have 11 seasons under his belt which is a lot of mileage and some horrendous injuries and carter hart will have been by that point okay he'll be 27 you know he'll be 28 29 didn't start in the league until 20 little bit less mileage maybe you don't you know if you if you see him as a as a guy to build around you probably don't start him 60 times a year in a season that you know is lost you probably manage him a little bit better and i trust Danny Breer far more than i trusted chuck fletcher for that sort of thing and so like he's one of the few and it's and believe me it is a short list he's one of the few who you can at least look at and say you know what on the other side of whatever this turns out to be, he, he could, could be there. He could be there. Just about just about everybody else who's not like a rookie from last season. I, I was gonna say it's basically Joel Farabee, Cam York, Noah Cates, Morgan Noah Cates. And you know what? Honestly, Frost is a tricky one too. By the way, I but. love Noah Cates and Morgan Frost for where this team is currently at, but I don't. At this point in time, I don't see them on a playoff roster. Not not um, in a not in a role that is substantial enough to justify keeping them for the next four years because you're just going to end up overpaying them. Um, there's an element of that where I understand where you're coming from and can and can see it with Frost. I think that what Cates did in his first full season provides a good foundation for something that I think like I think he can change your mind in three years. You think he's a top six player like on a legitimate roster? I'm not talking about on this garbage. Because he'll I, play in the top six this year, I'm sure. I think I think he's got a ceiling that could be that high. I think that like he becomes one of those guys that you would love it if he developed fully into like a good two C. If he ends up being a good, a really good three C on a more loaded roster when you decide it's go time, that also works because okay. he's he's one of these guys to me that is never going to be a problem. He's taking coaching from one of the toughest coaches in the in NHL history. He's, make- thri- he's thriving under it. And I think that he's also the type of guy that looks at the situation and goes, this could actually work really well because he's younger. He knows that it's early in his career. He is knows he just, he's got is he trust. just Scott Lawton? A little bit, potentially. Okay. I mean, and I like Scott Lawton. I lo- if you've been listening to the show, you know I love me some Scott, Scott Lawton. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I want, you know what? I don't know. You know what? That's, I'll tell you why that's a hard question to answer because I don't know what Noah Cates scoring ceiling is yet. Okay. I feel like we know enough about Scott Lawton to know even in a career, even in a career year that he just had points wise and all that, we still know what the ceiling roughly is. I think, I think that Noah Cates probably has a, I think think he has another gear. I think he's got a greater ceiling in every area because it's only year one. And you can't deny the fact that over the course of year one, he He got way better. Well, he got way better because they kept asking him to do more against tougher players. I mean, I think it's incredible. He had to play a game. I think that this is the biggest compliment you can give him in his rookie season, his first full rookie season. He, they played a game against the Edmonton Oilers and as good as Carter Hart was that night. Also, you're going against Connor McDavid for yep. 65 minutes, and then it's a shootout afterwards. But 65 minutes. Yep. 
They gave up one goal that night. And it, it, again, whether it's, you can say a lot of it was Carter Hart, but you can also look and say, you know what? Somewhere in that, you know, you're not going to make, you're not going to play perfect against Connor McDavid. But right. you are going to do what you can to limit. And that includes penalty killing. That includes, you know, five on five and three on three and all. And this especially season, this season. He's so good. Especially this season because he was a marauder. Exactly. He went bananas. All right. So do you want to get into player number two here? On this list, we want to get, get into Scott Lawton because we just brought him up. Yeah, yeah, um, he's he's. I think he's uh, the less fun one. Than yeah, well, we, name, we but we'll, we'll get there in a minute. Well, the, the the this is the second of the three names that probably would be the biggest returns, probably, and yes. then and then there's two more that we have to provide updates on because course, we know where course. we're going with this. But okay, uh, um, so Scott Lawton. There's been some interesting things here. I think you're going to hear Lawton's name at every popular trading period until his contract's up or until a deal's done. Like, and that's he, a shame because I kind of want him to stay here. I kind of like, want him to be but you the, get where I'm going the rebuild that. vet. But you, you get where I'm going with that, right? I'm sitting here looking at three years left in the contract, and I'm going, you're hearing it now. You're going to hear about it at the deadline. You're going to hear it next offseason. You're going to hear it at the deadline if he makes it through that. You're going to hear it at the following offseason. You're going to hear it at the deadline again, and that's – at the very least, like, I don't think, like, you're not getting to the third offseason and, and the contract's up, and now what do we do? The very least, you're going to hear about it, and I think the the end of the road is, bare minimum, the last trade deadline of the contract. Bare minimum. I agree. Um, I, I doubt he walks for nothing. I get, I, I get a strong out. sense that it's probably going to be a little sooner than that. I don't know about this year. Um, he's picking up interest. That's the thing is right. we, we talked about it about a month ago, maybe not the last show, the one before that. And we no, talked about guys who should stay. And I think we both kind of talked about Scott Lawton as a potential rebuild vet, a so, guy who's here, you know, to, to usher the new generation in. So he's going to be popular. He's going to be wanted. Teams will pay a pretty penny to get a player like that on their roster, especially for the playoffs? especially oh, yeah. for the playoffs, but even ahead of a season. Right now, he's at three years left on a contract at $3 million per. Yeah. It's a that's lot of money Matt, for those cap teams. But but, but there's an L. Well, it can be, but that's also manageable today. Yeah. But it only becomes more manageable when you go to two and a half. Two, one and a half. Especially one. right once we start getting into those retention time frames. Like right. three is a long time to retain, but two is pretty manageable depending on where your rebuild's at. Right. Now, the challenge in trading Lawton is that now there was a rumor that was already out about him that they that the Flyers turned down a first a late first round pick for him. Wow. Right now. Like within the last two weeks. Wow. Um now there's always the possibility that this rumor is nothing more than stancing to try to make it seem like the Flyers aren't serious about trading him, or or that if a first a late first isn't good enough, then nothing is. Like you know, there's also the potential that the first that they were offered wasn't for this year, and that's right. where their focus is, and they, that that's what they are targeting right now. So that's why they turned it down. I don't know at this point, um, but I'd keep a close eye on Lawton over the next ten days because. He's clearly another player that ha- has high value. I think one of the challenges you have with him, and this kind of goes back to something a little different with Hockey Canada this time, is Canada won at World Championships, like we talked about, right? Yep. And Scott Adam Fant- was a big part of that. Well, and Adam Fantilli was on that team, right? And Adam Fantilli said, hey, you know, Scott Lawton was great to me at World Championships. He's a great mentor. 
And all I can think about in thinking of that is, isn't that the guy you would want around when Cutter Gauthier makes his debut? Isn't that the guy you still want around for Tyson Forrester? Isn't Absolutely. that the guy you want around for whoever, you know, even just I want in Scott a, Lawton to be my old head to an, and, and that's the challenge because, and again, as much of a leader as anybody on the team, Tortorella loves him. Like you, you know that there are things that, that make this, this, this is like, I know that they sit there and they tell you after Provorov gets traded, it was a tough decision and all stuff like that. But there was also some things that said the writing was on the wall. Absolutely. This is this is legitimate. And, well, Carter Hart would be too, as we just talked about. But this would also very legitimately be a very tough decision because Scott Lawton fits what you're doing. It fits both. He fits what you're doing now because he fits mentoring young players. Well, almost like a player coach. But he also could be exactly what you need to move to get more value. Like there's, there's, it's kind of a win-win because I don't know if you come out of this on the raw, like I don't know if you make the wrong decision one way or the I other. Agree. I think both are favorable, well, but, so, it, but if it's a late first, it's hard to argue with late firsts, you know, one, like one thing I want to postulate to you here. Okay. I feel like over the last couple of years with this team, and this is something I've talked about on this show before, there's been kind of two locker rooms. And it mm -hmm. feels like we've had Scott Lawton's locker room and we've had Kevin Hayes' locker room. And that's not to say they don't get along. But you know what I mean. The guys who hang out with Scott Lawton and the guys who hang out with Kevin Hayes. I wonder what kind of message it sends if you, if you trade Lawton first. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I, I wonder if there's any... And maybe I'm wrong. But with a team that's going to be as young as this team looks like it's going to be... I wonder if that sends the wrong message to the room. And that's a tough call because like we, like we said, I don't know what kind of let like Hayes is one of the ones where you don't have a lot of leverage. Obviously it's kind of well known what that situation that looks he wants like out in a hurry. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer because you could you could also argue the same. I mean, it's it's different because the situations are also different, but it's a little bit like doing Provrov first too, because it's it's not. Yeah, the but same. I think if they're sending not, a message there, I think that was the correct message or the message that they were trying to send. Probably, and I think that the point, like, but you get my point. Like, the easiest thing to expect would have been, oh, Kevin Hayes is going first because we all feel like the writing's on the wall, and instead, Provrov went first. That's fair. It's. If nothing else, what I think that that does is sends a greater message. Well, sure. I think that sends the message to the day that we don't need to move Kevin Hayes right away. We can do other things first. Right. And 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 also, well, I think the other point of that also is, is maybe don't move Kevin Hayes first because there's no leverage. Trade a player with leverage. Get what, a lot of what you want so that this way – because, it look, inevitably, when, when Kevin Hayes if, – if slash when – Probably leaning. I think way. Kevin Hayes is traded by about July 10th or so. When the when the teams who miss on a center need a center, I think I think you'll get some calls. You want me? You want me? To, well, you want me to tell you when I think he's getting traded? Okay. June 29th. Okay. Because that's day two, and I yep. think that you're going to find a team that sits there and goes, "You know what? Do you the, get a first next year for him?" I don't know about that. I think there's okay. not enough leverage. But I agree. Uh, I, I think somewhere around round three, four, like it's not. Look, th th if nothing else, maybe maybe in hindsight, be thankful Provorov went first because Provorov being a player that had value from a playing standpoint or from a leverage standpoint because of what he's done, 
and they didn't have to trade him and all that type of stuff. Right. Got you a huge package in return, and Hayes is not going to get you that. I mean, it, no. if, 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 if it does, I'll be the first one to tell you how surprised I am and how impressed I am that it goes that way. Well, but uh, how long but does that's, Hayes have left? Is it, is it two years? Three, three. Three. Oh, never mind. Okay. And that's the problem. Now, now, granted, the other thing that plays into the Flyers' favor, though, is there will be there are people out there that are going to tell you the free agent class is not very good. Right. And if that's the case, then okay, take your pick. You want to overpay for seven years for a guy, or do you want three years at this price, knowing what it's locked in? With some cost certainty, yep. And you know what you're going to well, get out of Kevin Hayes. We talked about knowing and, what you're going to get and, out of Scott Lawton. Uh, <laughs> and right, no, price will be locked in, and the Flyers are going to retain. You know oh, they're yeah. going to retain. Yeah. Now, whether, that wh- number will probably be down around $5 million, I'd say. Well, right, and that's the point. Whether whether it's $2 million, whether it's half, whether it, you know, whatever it may be, they're Man, going to retain. If you're retaining half for three years – you're getting a first round pick or equivalent value. You have to be at that point. That's so much. Ridiculous. I don't think any, I, Hayes, I don't, I don't see any world in which Hayes gets a first round pick. What I do see is that Hayes, if you eat enough salary could net you a prospect that maybe is somebody that, that, you, is you, say, something. that, that you say is interesting that you, okay. that you feel like you can make use of. Like I, it's not going to be, sure we could pick up some names, but, but you, you know what I mean? I, mean, yeah. I think, I think the, the ceiling on draft pick is second. I mean, at, I, at ceiling. And honestly, like, like at this, yeah. well, well, but like at this point, I think you take a third round pick for him and say, "Fine." I agree. You know, yeah, if yeah, that yeah. if yep. that's how it's gonna go, because and if you can find someone who doesn't want you to retain, I'll take a third next year. Well, exactly. Like, it, well, not only I, I don't think it's ever gonna be like that, but I do think that if, if you can find somebody who's willing to give you even a third round pick, third, fourth for two million retained on that contract for three years, I think you do, do it. it. Because because you know because you know what the situation is going to be if you don't do it, right? The situation it's going to be terrible. It's Miserable. not going to it's not going to foster growth and development. It's going to foster more problems. Um, you're you're going to have to send them home. I know. Like, like you're gonna, gonna you're you're gonna have to send them to Lehigh Valley. It's going to be very waivers well, and yeah. Okay, so well, well, we got to the uh, we got to the Kevin Hayes part of this a little earlier than I thought. Do you want to say? Yeah, the, fine. Do we want to say the third name that There's actually the, we think could bring value? So spoiler alert, by the way, that was one of the names that has to go. Uh, the last name that it's could go almost definitely going to go. It's right. Coming. The the last name that could go possibly should go question mark. Uh, Travis connecting. Right. <sighs> it's tough because. It is tough. It's a player I think we all like. We all like his offense. We all like his um, attitude, shall we say. Um, his edge. Yeah. Sure. His, uh, his grit. edgy nature. Oh, right. His grit. Um, man, it's so tough. Because at this point, with where we're at and Sean Couturier still being as big a question mark as he is. Yes. Travis Connecting is your best offensive player. Sure. And it's a big piece. And frankly, I think it's a big piece that you need to move because I don't think now I, I want, I don't, this is going to come back and haunt me when he scores a Stanley cup winner in 2029 <laughs> or whatever. Okay. I don't, I feel like Travis Konechny doesn't like, I think he is what he is and what he is, isn't good enough. Okay. Interesting. I think he's the best player on a bad team, and I think he's going to score all the points this year. I think he's going to look a lot like Dylan Larkin looked through most of the Detroit Red Wings rebuild. 
Um, Assuming he's here, you're saying obviously. right? I'm if they. I'm talking through the first fifty games if he's still on the roster. Um, two years left on the deal, or is this the last it's year? Two, no, two. Okay, it's two years left. He he signed the same offseason as Provorov. So if he's two. if he's not gone by the deadline, I think he's gone by next year's draft. Okay, that's fair. Um, I think there's more value in getting him off your books this year, though. I don't know if they will, mm-hmm. but but I feel like you're gonna you're gonna squeeze more value out of teams with an extra year at that cost control. Yeah, given where it looks like the cap's gonna be over the next couple, and it, you know it's looking like it's gonna loosen up around it a little bit, especially that second year. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty sweet contract if you're a team on the edge. If you're a Nashville. <laughs> I, like and I, 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 I like one of those teams who finished between seventh and eleventh in the conference. Like Travis Connect needs a guy who's gonna play on your second line, score you twenty five or thirty goals if you put him with a good line mate. That should be worth a lot. I I hear you. Um, I didn't think that the uh, I didn't think Kevin Hayes was gonna be a good precursor to this, but it turned out to be a good precursor to this, and I'll tell you why. Okay, this one's simple. If you saw what Ivan Provorov can get you, oh, Travis yeah. Konechny could do very similar if, yeah. we're looking, if we're looking at performance value and contract. Again, and this Probably is Probably better, Hayes, honestly. Well, and this is where the Hayes thing comes in for me because we just said it with Hayes. If the free agent market isn't considered to be very good and you have a player like Konechny who's available for the right price, you may try value. to get his remaining two years at $5.5 million onto your roster uh, and it isn't the overpaying and committing seven years to a B level free agent in the offseason. Honestly, that can only that can only play into the Flyers' favor if teams think the free agent class isn't very good and the Flyers have some short term commitment players available. Honestly, with the cap staying relatively flat, like it looks like it's going to, mm-hmm. and a bit of a weak free agency class, Danny, it might be a really good year to ship everybody. And well, and here's the thing. I'm again. This is good. Same thing with Carter Hart. I'm not sure how willing the Flyers are to do it. Open um, for there business. Was, well, there, I know there was certainly way more of a willingness to trade Provorov because it felt like tensions were high. The relationship was going downhill. We already hit on all that. Yeah, right? it's, it's pride. But, we get it. <laughs> but the Flyers get what they like. The Flyers get what they want. Columbus got what they wanted. L.A. got what they wanted. You know what I mean? Like. It doesn't feel that way with Konechny, like that there's a need to potentially make something happen. But again, this can be one of the pieces that maybe has as much value now as potentially ever in the rebuilding stage. And Konechny's the same age as Provorov, so you also have to consider that. You know, yeah. one, of, one, of the, one of the things that I have, and I'm trying to remember, well, I guess I'll get into that this part when we get into the last player we have to talk about. Um, cause that's where I really have this written down, but, but with Konechny, it's, it, you know, d- d- you know, you're already at, I think you could, you could have already asked that question about Provorov. I think you can ask it about Konechny. I think you can ask it about Hart to an extent. Is the value ever going to be higher during the rebuild in terms of from this year to next year? How much do you sacrifice if it doesn't go well? Again, like, Hart's the only one I put the asterisk on for that, but otherwise I completely agree with you. Yeah. And well, and you, do you know what? Like, I'm not trying to say this from a standpoint of like that. I think like I'm not trying to say Travis Konechny is replaceable in terms of like 
that you don't want those types of you players. You can find another Travis Konechny when your rebuild is close to being done. But Well, no. What I'm trying to get at is this. I think the hardest position to get the firm guy is goaltending. Like, if you okay. draft a guy that you feel like you've got him, then you want to hold on to him. Yeah, but is Sandstrom that guy? Is Sam Erson that guy? Is Ivan Fedotov that guy? Like, we have some other quality options at this point. It's uh, not like... what, who, who's the other Russian? Kolosov? Yeah, so it's not like, like all the eggs are in the Carter Hart basket at this point. Oh, even cer- if certainly not. And and Danny Breyer could draft a goalie this year. They, you know, if, you're, they if you're looking at rebuilding, guess well, guess what? Now that I got ten draft picks this year. I probably would. I'd be I willing assume to lay they're taking away, at least one. I'd be willing to lay a wager that they will probably take a goalie in this draft. I, I think at that least. would probably be advisable. If the over under was set at one and a half, I'd probably bet the under. But you know, you never know. I'd splash the over maybe. <laughs> Um, do we want to talk about the last guy? Okay. Pre- I know you don't, but we have to. Okay, go for it. <laughs> well, because the other guy who would, is more or less likely to go... Well, and actually, I think the reason that we need to talk about this is because in the wake of the Hart stuff, because remember, like like we said, it was Provrov and, oh, Hart, they're working on a trade involving Hart, and then everybody right. kind of went, pump the brakes, there's a lot of hurdles, there's a lot of discussion. No, like, nothing it's, it's is not, close. Right. The news that kind of came out following that was that now the big focus was on Tony D'Angelo and being aggressive to try to move him. Jettison um, him into the sun. Well, so let us let me say this. So let me kind of clear the air on where the rumors are because we do still have some other things to get to before the end of the show. Um, I do think they are absolutely exploring trades for him. I think Briere, with a lot of control with the roster, obviously, as the new GM, recognizes that this was a mistake and not in the sense of, all of the other things we talked about or, you know, with when he was acquired in terms of personality or history or baggage, like just in terms of the amount they gave up to get his Asset rights and then, and then right. the contract. And because Briere was just on, I watched this the other day. Briere was just on the uh, Ray and Dregs podcast with Ray Ferraro and Darren Dreger. Right. And brought up the fact that he thought maybe too much of the last decade was too much patchwork. Really telling from a guy who actually worked for the team last year, like and sat in the chair next to the guy who was calling the shots. And he's quite frankly, telling you, and quite frankly, a decade ago, he still played for the team. That's true. Well, no, he was still an active NHL player. He was not on the Flyers at that time. That's but that's fair. OK, sure. Close enough. He Close still had enough. friends on the team. Fair enough. Um, But you're right in the, like in the amount like forget all the other stuff for a second in the amount that they gave up to get the guy's rights and then the contract and now the ultimate fit within the system with John Tortorella it's just not working Sim- similar to Kevin Hayes this may be a case where you retain some salary you take what you can get for him it's going to be a lot easier to trade D'Angelo contract wise versus Hayes because it's only one year left on, on one year left on the contract, teams can much more easily navigate that. Yep. But it's going to be harder because I here, here's the reason. Because he's a giant prick. <laughs> I think that teams can see Hayes can be a good player and how his play dropped off late in the season. This can look, this can hurt Hayes' case too. But if you want to look at the numbers, I'm not going to tell you Hayes is bad. He played four seasons. Kevin Hayes has four seasons in Philly. His first season, 69 games played, 23 goals, 41 points. Pretty solid from your 2C, considering that you had 13 games remaining in a regular season that got cut short. When we Um, still had hope. And he was probably on pace during that season, safely, at 23 goals, 41 points, for 50 points, 25 goals. Let's just just go to the nearest round number. 
Second season, 55 games played, 12 goals, 31 points. Obviously a dip, but that was a complete anomaly of a season because you only played the same seven teams over and over again. Scheduling was all over the place. It was, it was a giant only 56 mess. games, right? Right. It was a mess. Third season, 48 games played, 10 goals, 31 points. So first of all, same total, same points total as the season before, fewer games. And once he returned from injury again in March, once they finally got him right, he played 28 games and had seven goals and 15 assists for 23 points. So in his first 20 games, he had three goals and eight points in his last 28, seven goals, 23 points. Yeah. When he's been healthy, he's been a good player. Promise. Right. And then last season, his fourth, same thing, but in reverse. So 81 games, 18 goals, 54 points. It's pretty good for overall body of work. Yeah. But look what happened after February, essentially after the All-Star game. He had 45 points in 50 games through January. From February until the end of the season in April, he played in 31 games and had nine points. And looked like garbage. So it was clear what happened and how disinterested he became because as we've heard the relationship was bad between Hayes and Tortorella. He, he how that played hard out hard enough to make the All-Star game and then absolutely mailed it in. Then you go to D'Angelo and D'Angelo didn't have a bad year points-wise. 42 was the third highest of his career, 11 goals was second highest, but he's just not a fit. And I'm Correct. not sure if they're going to make this happen now or if they're going to if it's going to be more of a trade deadline play. But I do also think that they don't feel like him being on the roster to start next season is a necessity. Well, he's available. Listen, get him out of here before he starts fighting teammates like he's done everywhere else. Well, and that, that's I think the thing that they're weighing. Like, it's not like it's not like he. If hurts. you don't tra- if you don't trade him, don't have him show up to camp. Well. Okay, and I don't know if I wrote this, if I completely wrote this down. Maybe I did earlier in the, uh, oh, okay, because here's the other thing about Hayes. Because he's going to start punching rookies, well, let's hold be on. honest. Here, here's the other thing about Hayes for a second, because, yeah, the, the Flyers are going to look to make this happen to potentially, like, to try to get the trade and things like that. They're going, and we said, they're going to have to retain salary. I know there have been a lot of discussions about would they buy out Hayes. Okay. I don't think they want to do that. Because it would be it, like for, for me, well, for me, that that would have to be an absolute last resort. And I think Briere is, again, this kind of goes back to the Provorov trade for a second and understanding what about what value is and maybe making a big first statement with the Provorov trade also. That Briere is smart enough to know to take whatever the best offer you can get is, whether that means increasing retention beyond your starting point in negotiations, whether that means that the return isn't higher in like on high, is in the higher end picks. I think you know where the situation is and you have to take what you can get rather than maximizing the trade because that could hurt you. D'Angelo, I wonder if they wouldn't, you know, again, I think with D'Angelo, the easy, not the easy thing to do, but where they're at right now is we're still pre-draft and we're still pre-free agency and all that stuff. And the window is open for, you know, like, like because the buyout window is the way that the buyout window is. I think right now you're not trying to do anything buyout wise because you're going to try to do trade first. I think that's the obvious mentality. Absolutely. But but I do think that if they go out searching, and has I like I like good. Sorry, in terms of uh, Tony D'Angelo, has any player been bought out more? I don't. I mean, I'm sure there has been, but in total history, I think it's already been twice, and he's like 26. But. Like, but but I think that, like with Hayes, I think it's like the the easier thing to do with Hayes is 
trade it for whatever you can get because sure. three years left, and then when you buy it out, it turns into you're paying it. God, he would be such a good third line center on the Boston Bruins for nine hundred k after the Flyers buy him out. Tell me I'm wrong. I don't tell me I'm wrong. I don't know if it's going to be nine hundred k, but you're not wrong about that part. Maybe Bergeron, Krejci, Hayes down the middle. Charlie Coyle still on the team. I. Well, then if Coyle's on the team, I don't know if he's the third line center. He's probably Hayes is your probably your four C, and at that point, he probably is making nine hundred k. What 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 about what about three? What about third line left winger? Because he's he did too play. slow. Can he play left wing? He played last year. Maybe yeah, for that team though. Well, that's true. That's fair. Anyway, I do sense that maybe you know, if if buyout for Hayes is a complete thousand percent thousand percent last resort. I think it's less of a last resort for D'Angelo. Like I, I think that because you're not sacrificing that much, you're get you're actually getting savings this year, and then next year you're going to be paying less in, than two million dollars for one in, more year. In, in a year where you're going to be nowhere near the cap and not trying to win. Yeah, well, okay, but like I, I want yep. you to think. I want you to think about every player we've talked about so far, no matter yeah. who it is, because you can you can do the math on this no matter how you have to. Like we know what Carter Hart's contract is, just under four mil. Lawton's three, Konechny's five and a half, D'Angelo's five, Hayes is 7.14. We know that retention is going to need to be involved if you trade Hayes or D'Angelo. And you may have to take some salary back somewhere for somebody at some point. But if you've got guys like the other ones, maybe, I mean, Hart's a little tricky because Hart's a one-year deal still, but but it's club control. I don't think think you're trading Hart with the idea that you're going to retain on him. I think you're trading Hart because he's going to get you value back. Yeah. But... But with the other two, like with Konechny, let's use Konechny as the exa- example here because he makes more out of the three guys that He's we were the saying. Obvious answer, yeah. But he makes more. He makes the most out of the three guys that we said would probably have the biggest value. Don't you think if you're trading him, like let, even, let's even use the team that you gave. What if you're trading him to Nashville, just hypothetically speaking? Don't you think you're getting back a player who probably makes at least $3 million? Probably. Just you know to, to get a better pick or to get a better prospect but you're probably getting a player who makes $3 million at least. So yeah. that at the very least, when, when it comes to factoring it in on the books, it's a $2 million change. That's what you're trying to do if you're a team who's, who's gaining him. Absolutely. That's, that's the hard part. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you have to look at any player, and I, the same goes for D'Angelo, honestly. Like, D'Angelo makes $5 million unless you're retaining half right up, up front, which, which theoretically speaking, you could do. You it's, one, could. It's, it's one yeah. year. What's the difference? Um. Still would be a savings to an extent, right? Yep. But you're probably chances are like I can totally see a trade for D'Angelo being a mid-range draft pick as the piece that you get that you want while retaining half of his salary and also getting a player who makes two million dollars. So the team, so the team who gets him pays him five hundred thousand dollars. Yep. Basically. Yep, and that's different than what they had. And, and that's, that's the business of the flat cap NHL, especially. And that's also what happens when you have little leverage. Like you have to just accept it. If if the Correct. best you can do is, hey, you remember, you know, we trade. What was it? Second, third, and fourth that we traded last year to get his rights. We can we can get the third back if we also retain half the salary and eat another contract. The I think real, you say sure. The real asset you get in return is peace of mind. <laughs> Well, I do. I I did know. Like, it wasn't lost on me how throughout all of this, if they if they're able to pull all of that off, meaning, okay, Provorov, there was some fracturing going on there as well. We like what we said. The writing was a little bit on the wall. Absolutely. Here. 
And by and the way, he's going to be a, he's going to be an absolute killer with a change of scenery. He's going to be a monster, and we all know it. I don't even, like. Isn't it crazy that I don't even like? I assume he's going to play with Wierenski, but I don't know. I don't know. They got Damon Severson too. Like they and they're I not, know. and they might not even be done. Well, see, well, Severson. Um, wasn't Jake Bean injured too? And like, that's that, another guy. Like, that defense is going to be mean with Mike Babcock. Whew. Funny enough, we're going to get into him later in, in some of the conversations I have written down too. Apparently, okay. um, but but yeah, I mean, like it, it, that's the difference though. You, like, but if you're able to trade, like Provrov, we knew the writing was on the wall a little bit. We know Hayes, there's some fracturing there. Um, D'Angelo, you know that there, you know, there's issues there as well. To an extent, it, it, moving heart in the middle of this, while while there's a complete question mark with Hockey Canada involved, is another one. To be honest, if it was able to happen, right? Like, but I'm sitting here thinking about it going. Can you imagine if Briere does all of this in one shot? And, He's gonna and, look pretty good. And 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 essentially takes away a majority of your like a, kind of in a way a majority of your problem guys to an extent. I'm not and like I'm not trying to call Hart a problem. We don't yeah, know if he. Uh-huh. I mean, well, no, Hart could be clean. That's the thing. That, that, that still remains to be seen. But the other three, we knew. Like you're like you know, there's something going on. You know that there's you know tension. Yep. You know that there's issues. So what if what just happens a, if all of them are gone? Just a whole bunch of pissed off former Rangers. <laughs> anyway, um, all right. Are we on to uh, that's that's the trade rumors? Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, as we get into draft season, we'll be covering any deals that go down, and you know all the other hullabaloo surrounding the team over the next couple of weeks. And on that note, I did want to mention that we will be back next week. Uh, with a uh, that'll be a post draft show at that point, right? No, 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 pre draft next. Oh, that'll be our pre draft show. Okay, yeah, so pre- that will be yeah. our pre draft show. We will be looking at some more trade rumors, and we will be kind of breaking these things down even a little bit further. Well, depending um, on depending on what we know, and the, and the reason, sure. we're do- well, the other reason we're doing this is because we really don't have a lot of time right now with all of this news going on to talk about anything. Like we're not even really talking seven twenty two right now. You know, we can't even get into it because no. there's, there, there's no, just be so week. much, yep. you know, so, all right. Anywho. Um, yeah, in the meantime, we do have some front office news to get into. Yes. And the big news. We want to start. We're, I guess we should start at the top. Oh, we're going to start at the top and work our way down. Uh, so one of the things we heard when Danny Breer and Keith Jones came in was about the, the brain trust, as it were, the, the five person uh, unit. It was going to be, uh, from the bottom up, it was going to be John Tortorella, Danny Briere, Keith Jones, uh, Val Camillo, and Dan Hilferty. And they were kind of going to be the the group, the, the brain trust, whatever you want to call it, the think tank, uh, the executive board of decisions. And here we are six weeks later, not even three weeks later, four weeks later. Yeah. And... Val Camillo's gone. And I know she's not technically gone yet, but she'll be leaving shortly. And what's going on here, Kevin? Catch us up. What what does yeah. this mean? What does this mean? Well, there's a, a couple things to break down. Um, it's First of all, this is very interesting, and there haven't been a lot of details out as to why this is happening. But you kind of hit the nail on the head with some of the big things. First first of all, it, obviously it was confirmed it's happening because uh, there was a company-wide email at Comcast Spectacor that Crossing Broad had obtained 
uh, that that announced it to the company. So it is happening. Effective. They have good sources. Well, they got Anthony Sanfilippo. Yeah, they got they got the good sources. Um, so it's uh, so it's but so it's happening, and it's effective July first. So you're gonna get through like. Ironically enough, you're going to get through the meat of the offseason, <laughs> and, and then she—not that she has anything to do with the front, like the hockey operations right. department—but yes. Um, so I guess, like, so now, like, I guess to break down actually what it all means or whatever, because you—you're absolutely a thousand percent right to go through all of the song and dance that they did about a month ago, and now this happens. It seems strange. It doesn't sound like this was a firing. It wasn't phrased that way. No. Uh, it doesn't. It wasn't phrased. It was phrased as she is leaving. Right, and it wasn't phrased in any way that makes it seem like something happened, or that a month into all this, Dan Hilferty wants her out or anything like. Like I right. didn't get that sense at all. And it makes sense because this would make it would make even less sense if you had the giant press conference make very clear there are five people in leadership, the new era of Orange, and then dismiss one of them immediately. Yeah, that's a terrible look for your rebuild. Now, that's why it's strange, because we don't have the answer completely, but it is entirely possible, and I think more probably likely, uh, that she got some sort of opportunity somewhere and is sure. leaving for that purpose. She'll start we'll somewhere see, by August 1st. We'll see where, We'll see what further details emerge, but it, but it is, again, it's a very strange timeline, considering the big showcase how recent everything was right. just a month ago before the announcement before before an announcement now that she's leaving so there's not like we're, we're definitely not staying on this topic very long because there's not a lot of information we, we just, just don't know, know anything happen- right. but we like we just know it's happening and we know that from an optic standpoint it's very strange because you yeah. just rolled out this big group i mean let's put it this way what was the big picture the big it, picture that was plastered all over the place was the five of them. The posed, five of them. Yeah. And Keith Jones gets a jersey and Danny Briere gets a jersey and they're holding them up like these are our two front office guys. And here's Dan Hilferty, who's the new who's going to be the new governor of the team. And yep. here's Valerie Camillo, who's the you know CEO of the business side of things. And here's John Tortorella, our head coach. And OK, we knew Tortorella wasn't going anywhere. Yep. It's obvious Hilferty's not going anywhere. But uh, OK, and what happened here? In all honesty, We'll probably never know. This is probably the last time we talk about this. It'd be story very well because, under wraps. You're right. Because I doubt we'll ever hear anything because she'll leave. She'll sign, um, a, th- she'll t- sign a thousand NDAs on the way out. And then she'll start somewhere new and sign a whole new batch of NDAs. I don't. Okay. I, I hear. I think you're right about the fact that you won't hear it from her. I do think somebody uh, it could. It could leak out eventually. That's I think. I think that somewhere along the line, we'll get some dirt on this somewhere. But we'll. Too many people have too many ears and too many front offices for nothing to get right. out about it. That's fair. But regardless, as of this current moment, we don't really have any information there. Um, obviously, we all wish Valerie Camillo the best. Um, in whatever I do, I do, she chooses I do think to do. Well, and I I do want to say like one thing because like. There was a lot of comments that came in, like good riddance, and oh, like she. Oh, terrible, I think blah, she's blah, blah, been blah. great for the franchise. I, I actually think that she's done a lot of things that kind of brought back some of the foundational pieces that you needed. I don't think that. I, look, I I know there was because there was a lot made about when she got hired too, because she was like again. Remember, I I even kind of went nuts about this when it happened because I turned around and said, "This is all. Remember, this is all coming from the people that brought you natitude with the Washington Nationals." And I like because I thought that was stupid. And and sure enough, like right after they left, that's when they won a World Series. So. Go figure, right? <laughs> but uh, and obviously that's not going to happen here. It's not going to. They're not going to win a Stanley Cup in the next two years. I would be very hey, surprised if, if the 2001 Marlins can win a World Series. Or was that 1999 Marlins? No, 1997 or 2003. That's it. There just you go. Two total rando years in the middle of being they're just, terrible. 
awful teams and boom, here's a World Series. A couple yeah, years later, real. we're terrible, terrible, terrible. terrible. Right. Boom, here's a World Series. Baseball's so weird. Anyway. Yeah, I hear. <laughs> uh, do we uh, want to get into some of the other people who are out and changing and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you break this down a little bit here? Sure. Yeah. So this is before we get into, I guess, the two biggest pieces of news in the front office, because obviously there's some recognizable names we're going to get into in a second. Yep. But this all happened uh, probably at least a week before, maybe a little bit more than that. Actually, actually, I shouldn't say that. This, this, these are these are changes that happened before the trade was go right. had gone down before Provorov got traded because. Right. This, to me, at least the department that was addressed, so needed to be addressed. Like, it, it would to, like I think it's one of the major areas of concern within the organization. What you know, it was was player development. The yep. way we talked it, about it a little bit earlier. Yep. Well, we had talked about it on a, on a recent show about how I like I had even said I don't think that they draft poorly. I don't think you have that many people telling you your drafts are great and then don't pan like don't pan out like that. I think you don't except, develop except for Bobby Clark. Uh, well, yeah, um, but but I I had said on the last show one of the things I thought that the team had to do was make you know, was more than just make changes to the roster and prepare to move forward was find a way to make the most of the picks that they have and develop them properly. That's a huge step to rebuilding. It's a huge step forward. And this whole thing, these these moves, which uh, Mike O'Connell was a senior, a kind of a senior advisor in this area in player development. He's out. John Riley and Shell Samuelson were very big parts of player development. They are no longer with the team. No, Shell Samuelson's been around forever. Exactly. Yep. Uh, so you got so Alan McCauley is uh, moved promoted to assistant GM. He was kind of doing developmental stuff for. He was actually actually I'm sorry no he was in, he was director of analytics I believe. Okay. previously so okay. he's assistant gm now and i believe that the story was there and a couple people had said this uh i think anthony demarco had this and and tony and Andr had this too um that um macaulay was going to probably become the general manager of the phantoms okay fair enough and that is a role that an assistant general manager often um takes yeah riley armstrong is going to director of player development Nick okay. Schultz, de assistant director of player development. Good old Nick Schultz. I know. Um, so a recent player, though, I will go there because we'll, we we'll get into more that. recent players in a second. Yes, we will. But but I do think this is a huge step forward in terms of like specifically with the people who are out because you, you're taking a very first of all you're taking a very old school guy in Mike O'Connell out of the picture, and then like you said, Shell Samuelson's been around forever. He's, and he's kind of been the center of the player development and and, and look, and again, it's it, as as with a lot of these business decisions, Shell Samuelson's a great guy. Oh sure, I, but sometimes, but the, none of our comments right. reflect these people as people. Sure, absolutely. But this is why it's a huge step forward because it's a recognition of a problem. It, like, what do we, what do we say about things like that? the first step yep. of you know of of fixing a problem is admitting you have one. self awareness, right? So absolutely, it is understanding that for some reason the way it was done isn't working and wasn't getting you any closer to contending so you take the steps necessary to make it better and they are gutting the organization from the top to the bottom in so many ways yep. and i give again this kind of goes back to full marks to danny briere and look i i i, I do want to go back and kind of amend something from even when we were talking about the pro rob trade because yeah, Danny Briere's name again. His name is kind of slapped all over all of the stuff and all that. Can, like, can I tell you something? Yeah, I'm already ready. I am already ready to put Dan Hilferty's name in the rafters. Oh wow! Oh yeah, just even if it doesn't work, I don't because 
essentially the first thing he did was kick Bob, Bill, and Paul <laughs> out on the streets of Voorhees or Margate, more likely. Um, <laughs> and we're gutting it. We recognize that there's a problem. He's not leaving room for any bad apples. He's just shaking the whole tree down and starting over. Well, and I think the reason you feel so comfortable saying what you're saying is because when you start hiring people with titles that are reminiscent of the titles that those people had, and it sounds like they're not going to be part of it like they used to be. And think about it. Was there ever this level of turnover when they were there? Probably not. I mean, well, never, never, ever, well, ever. Well, well, okay, we'll go in, we're going to go into this as we get to the other part. Okay. Because, because, because I, I have a kind of have a point for why they're doing this. Let's, let's start, let's not bury the lead with the Let's first bring person. in all the former flyers. We mentioned Nick Schultz a minute ago. Yeah, but at least he's been here for some time. It wasn't yeah. brand new. But we get some good little titles out of this. Patrick yes, Sharp and John LeClaire are special advisors. Special advisor to hockey operations is the yeah. official title. Assistant to the GM, yes. Kind of, uh, in a way. Well, kind of, no. Whatever, what, or whatever Dwight, Dwight Truth said. Oh, the, uh, um, assistant to the regional assist, manager. Assistant to the assistant regional manager. Right. Was, right. right. Uh, um, so we get a little – okay. I'll tell you how I reacted to it in real time. Sure. And I want to hear your take, and then I have my thoughts on both of these guys. So let's go ahead and get it. So these, these hirings happened a day apart. Sharp came out a, a day early. And I obviously – I didn't hear anything early. I just heard that as it publicly broke, obviously. I sure, of course. I sort of inside track. I don't know if you do, but uh, not, I heard – Not really with hirings because hiring – well, and let's be real about something too because – when somebody Keith, gets offered the job, they say yes, then they announce it. Well, kind of, <laughs> but also, well, no, but also, when Keith Jones got hired in the president role, that was kept very close to the vest. Remember how there were tons of names floating around in the beginning, and then well, all and of a sudden, I, it was like, and all I of think a sudden, if Keith Jones's up, name had gotten out there, he would have withdrawn. He didn't want it out there. That's what I'm saying. I think he, if he his name had clear, trickled out early, he would have. He withdrawn made very from clear. I actually race. just saw a clip from I think I, I think it was the Flyers Talk podcast that Jordan Hall does for NBC Sports and things like that. They had Al Morgani on there. Like, when did you kind of know that Keith Jones might be up for the job? Because they obviously like they obviously do WIP together right. or stuff like that. And Al said when he stopped answer, when he stopped calling me back because <laughs> as, as soon as he dropped off the grid for a week, I knew something was up. And Fair like, enough. But but that's the point. He just he kind of dropped like uh, other than doing TNT, he was like, that's it. it which was still weird all the way through the Stanley Cup finals. But, still strange. But before we get to these two, then can yeah. we mention speaking of the, the end of the Stanley Cup final? Can we mention Wayne Gretzky giving the words of encouragement there, awesome. which, which was so cool to hear and. Yeah. Look, Gretzky was great on these things, oh, obviously. And he, but and he buried Biz every chance he got. But the but the cool part was like it's one thing to wish the guy luck and say, you know, we hope we know you're gonna do great and things like we that. We wish you the best. But right. to but to throw in also, I know Mr. Snyder's looking down, he yeah, knows he's not the right cool, guy. Man. Like, let's remember something. Wayne Gretzky never played for the Flyers ever, right? I, I wanna give Wayne an immense amount of credit because he has come a long way in the last 24 months since uh, ESPN uh, and TNT got yes. that contract. He was he was a little quiet. He was a little reserved, but he was always like that as a player. And he is still quiet. He is still respectful. 
but he's letting his personality out. He's having some fun. He's talking when the game when the game's third overtime is almost over. You know, he's talking about thank God it ended or I'd be sleeping back here. You know, yeah. he he started really letting some of his personality I, go. And I, we do love to see it out of Wayne. I know that I know that I also do in addition to doing the show with you and all that stuff like that. I know that I do work for a uh, for a website and a radio station that yeah. has that has four letters after its name. That also that is also a pretty big letters, right? Yeah. That also that is also a network that has the rights to the NHL. That, that's one of the two. Um, TNT's pre-post, all that type of stuff, blows ESPN's out of the water. Oh like, yeah, like I that panel in the Cup final with with Gretzky, Charles Biz, well, but with Gretzky, Man. Biz, Anson Carter, and Henrik Lundqvist. Henrik Lundqvist, like, well, uh, by the way, isn't Henrik Lundqvist just the likely like? Of course he's good of at this. Of course because, he because, is. Because, well, because just okay. like Patrick Sharp was good at it. Well, but but hold on a minute. Like, of course he's good. He was you know he was a great goalie. He was the best dressed guy in the league. He's still one of the best dressed guys in the league. My favorite good ongoing dude. My favorite ongoing bit, by the way, is that Henrik Lundqvist won't tell Biz where he gets his haircut because <laughs> he doesn't want him going to his guy. Well, because right? he doesn't want Biz tweeting it out is the problem. Right. Look where I just got this sick fade, brah. Tag. <laughs> Henry Lundquist's place is ruined forever. But, like, isn't it just so obvious that Lundquist would be good at it? Like, he was good at everything else. He's the best-dressed guy in the league. He's the best. He's one of the of better look. He's a great-looking dude. Like, it's infuriating how just I know. perfect he is. I know. But anyway. It, but, it, but, it, but, it, but it's an awesome panel. Let's go back to this. Great. Patrick Sharp. Um, or, or, well, actually, sorry. So Speaking of handsome is, panelists, Patrick Sharp. Right. <laughs> okay. So anyway, the, uh, the announcement of Patrick Sharp came out, and my reaction in real time was, oh, that's neat. I liked Sharpie. He was a fun, you know, he was a fun little guy on that Phantoms team. And, you know, he, he was fun. Listen to you. I like Good Sharpie. Good old Sharpie. Hey, Sharpie. And then um, the news the next day came out about John LeClaire, and I went, all right, all right, all right, listen. All right, all right. I so, love John LeClaire, and I do. I grew up a, a child of the Legion of Doom. I grew up watching Eric, Eric Desjardins was my favorite player until about 2008. So, uh, why, did I, why did I think that you, why did I think you loved Lindros more? No, Ooh, you Maybe. have not listened to the history no, of this you know show very well. No, no, you know no, no, no. no you I know think Eric Lindros is possibly the single most under overrated flyer in Philadelphia Flyers history. Uh, that's right, because you you had yeah. big, you had big love for Claude Giroux when we were doing those. Yeah, absolutely. against Lindros. Absolutely. Think, right? All right. Anyway, right, I guess I guess you want my reaction to everything in real time, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, because I do love Leclerc. But... All right, let's let's start with Patrick Sharp first, because he was hired first by two two whole days or a day and a half or however you want to look at it right um from a from a hockey perspective this is a good hire he's the type of player recently enough removed from playing to know how to help develop younger players and where the game is going um again like like you mentioned being a broadcaster and analyst um that helps your knowledge base the one obvious blemish in the hiring is that he was a member of the 2010 Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, yeah. That's, but that's it. I'm, and I listen, I can understand if that's a deal breaker for people. I can understand if you don't like it for that reason. But as much as that's a problem on the Flyers' part, 
that's a problem on the league's part because every year we go through the song and dance of Joel Quenville and Stan Bowman want, Bowman went back in and are going to meet with Bettman about reinstatement. Um, yeah, and I, for the record, I don't, I don't hold it against you if you think Patrick Sharp is the scum of the earth because he was on that team and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Look, I, sure. I certainly understand that's that. that thing too. I understand right. if it's a deal breaker. Um, let me ask you another question based off of that. Then who's the who's the uh, GM of the Winnipeg Jets? I. Kevin Chevel day off. Okay, so it wasn't a deal breaker there either. And unrelated to this particular story. Um, to be fair, he was did, hired who, as the general manager of the Winnipeg Jets before we knew about that. He was. He but remains in that job. Despite but. it. it. That was the point. It, right. like, despite it, it wasn't enough for them to say, well, we're going to change it anyway. Right. No. Okay, that didn't happen. Oh, um, Joel Quenville's about to get a job, so uh, who knows? Well, I don't Well, how many jobs are left? <sighs> In fairness, there's a lot know. of them that have dried up that's, since. That's fair. That is fair. Um, and, un- and unrelated to this particular story, but you've already mentioned him on the show a couple of times because we had Columbus discussions. So, you know, look at who else is about to get another coaching job. You know, Mike, Mike Babcock's coming Babcock. back. In the league. So, yeah. like, this to is- be fair, though, his was a little more tame than the Chicago Blackhawks. Probably, but, he, it's, but it doesn't make it. He was a bit of an old-fashioned coach. Yeah. Uh, he, who took it a little farther than some of the old-fashioned coaches do. That is fair. That is fair. But, um, they... but, but, but where you get where I'm going with this. It's not a Flyers exclusive thing. The league does this, and we've talked about it, and I can talk about morals in sports until I'm blue in the face. It's not going to change how any team seems to approach things. Um, whatever. Like it, it, We can talk about it until we're blue in the face. Obviously, it, it doesn't matter to many teams, right? right? It just is what it is. All right, let's go back to the other angle then because yeah. – the more popular angle was let's talk about if you're playing the former flyer card, because if you are on Patrick Sharp, I kind of can't level with you here. Patrick Sharp's biggest claim to fame as a flyer is that he was traded young, wasn't given much of a chance. And for years they felt like he felt like a player that got away. I can't look at players who have six, like he's got 66 games as a flyer. Okay, if like if you're the person out there who like if if even playing one game in a Flyers u- uniform is a deal breaker for you, then and that's your opinion. And I get where that comes from, but but this goes back to I want to go back to what we talked about at the president hire, and that there were going to be names out there in the search that you were going to hear that you would probably be able to associate at, as former Flyers or they played and blah, 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 but they aren't like, you have to consider the context behind former Flyer right. and what's their recent history with the Flyers to an extent. Like remember Scott Mellenby fell into this category. Robert Esch fell into this category. Yeah, they played here, but when was the last time you can remember them having ties to the organization? Because it's been a while. Right. And Sharp is the same way. This yeah. isn't somebody, this isn't even like some having somebody like Briere or Keith Jones who were around the organization for years before they got hired. I, I think it's more, it almost feels like if you have, if the resumes are blank, mm-hmm. Patrick Sharp doesn't get hired. Right? If, if, or if the resume is filled, but like team names are changed. Right. Patrick Sharp doesn't get the job. And, and I'm not necessarily saying that's the case here. Mm-hmm. But because on his elite prospects page, Philadelphia Flyers appears, that's a tiebreaker. That's a an edge. That's a and I don't again, I don't know if that was the case here. I don't know. I I'll tell you what a greater case for here is than that. What what did we say when Keith Jones got hired? Dude knows everybody. 
And right. Patrick Sharp was working for the same network as Keith Jones was. And it's like, hey, you know what? If, if you got the guy on, I wouldn't say he's on speed dial, but if you got the guy in your contacts list and, you, and you're thinking, hey, what are you up to? Sure. And I imagine maybe you give a phone call. And I imagine that in this circumstance, that is probably the origin of this job. Well, and, and also and also in fairness. OK, so if Keith Jones knows everybody and can easily call anybody. Danny Briere also played at the same time that Sharp did. Sure. They played Fair. in a Stanley Cup final against each other. Right. Maybe that's a name that crosses Briere's mind, too. Like, hey, you know what? He's just over here. You know, he was broadcasting in Chicago a little bit. Want to see what he's up to? You know, maybe he's interested in helping sure. us build a team. The guy, you can't take away for all the other stuff that we said with the Chicago side of things. He's got three Stanley Cups on his resume. That is fair. I think that if you're looking for better ways to develop players, you're looking for championship pedigree and you're looking for guys who, and, and Sharp wasn't even another great case here for Sharp is he wasn't exactly top pick material. He was one of those finds that a he team was a gets diamond in the rough that somebody developed late. Right. Yes. But the thing is, like I said, it, it's not so much about the fact that he was a flyer is a problem in the hiring specifically. It's just that it seems like you look for that or it jumps every, out on every, page. every single person you've hired is a former flyer. Well, all right. So let's let's get into even even if they're just technically in the Patrick Sharp sense. Well, because, well, uh, the reason I'm saying this is because my stance on this changed a little bit with the second hiring because. Okay. Because when it was just Patrick Sharp, I'm sitting here going, stop playing that card. We're talking 66 games. They didn't right. like it's not they, a big deal. Well, like the point was, it's OK. So they had Keith Jones, Danny Breer. It's not like they followed it up with, hey, Eric Lindros is going to be doing stuff in the front office now. Like and as, then they as, hired another as, part as, of the Legion to do. As, no, but as rumored as that was, yep. it's not like they started there. They hired an ex-player who last played for the team in 2006 yep. and is better known in his playing career for another team. That didn't bother me. John LeClaire comes into the picture, and I, I, I will say to you on the show, I will say to the listeners on the show what on I sent public you, records. Well, what I sent to you in the group text as yep. soon as it happened, which is I want to start this whole thing off by saying I love John LeClaire. I love this, John LeClaire. When this when this news came out, my my I'm, I'm I was sitting in the same spot I'm sitting right now. I'm sitting at my desk in my office. And I will even show you the direction that my eyes went <laughs> I, because I turned, I saw it on my screen and I went like this and I looked up at the picture of the Legion of Doom that I have hanging on the wall and thought, okay, that guy's going to work for the Flyers now. Okay. Th this was without Michael question. Renberg, start looking for places in Philly, baby. <laughs> this was without, qu like without question. This was my first favorite Flyer. It was. It's kind of impossible when, like, as a kid in the '90s, it's impossible to not, not be in, John well, to not <sighs> be infatuated watching a player who can score 50 goals regularly, who's an all-star, an Olympian for U.S. hockey, like, and a handsome son of a gun too. <laughs> With that being said, I can understand how you can look at Keith Jones for how the role was defined and want to put him in place there. The president was kind of going to be a bit of a marketer. He's going to be a talker. He's going to kind of try to get his message across. We knew, we certainly knew the credentials that Danny had coming in, even without the experience. We knew he was on that path, and it Main kind Mariners, of et cetera, et cetera. Well, and it got accelerated when you decide we're done with Chuck Fletcher. That sure. gets accelerated, obviously. Sure. You could even see it with Sharp because everybody, you know, with Patrick Sharp, everybody has to start somewhere. He was still yeah. an active player five years ago, but Leclerc's been retired for a good amount of time. Yep, and he's been around in an alumni capacity, right. and he's and he's involved with. 
three ice, which is a three-on-three league, but that's really it. He hasn't exactly been somebody known in a hockey operations department before. So I wonder if certain I wonder if certain people were keeping him out. That's an interesting question. I didn't really think about that, to be honest, but good point. Uh, But it does absolutely feel very old school flyers to hire one of your former players on the merit that he was once a great player in your organization. And he he left on kind of bitter terms, didn't he? LeClaire? Yeah. Um, did, he, did he not? Not really. Um, okay. I, I just think that there was a – I don't want to say there was anything that was like bitter terms or anything like that. I, I, I think that there was maybe at the time – I'm trying to think of the best way to put this because LeClaire, LeClaire and Lindros were so much at the hip together that when things were bad with Lindros, I think a little bit of an element of that rubbed off on LeClaire because I think they stayed friends throughout, obviously, and things like that. They're so still I think a little about – like, 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 wasn't it obvious that once that was all patched up and things like that, that there was – you had – like, they had to go into the Flyers Hall of Fame together. Steve Dangle tells the story on his podcast, by the way. John LeClaire drives the eight-plus hours to Toronto go, every year like for LeClaire's – Yep. Yeah, for, yep, I know. Every year. It's amazing. So well, they're they, still great friends they, to this day. Well, Lind- Lindros is uh, kind of kind of a timely reference here because the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame announcement is coming in on Wednesday of this week. But Lindros has spoken to make a case for LeClaire, which Good. he's got an interesting case. He's over 400 goals. He was uh, you know an elite player in the game for a good stretch of time, like for a six, seven year period. He was one of the elites. And there are certain uh, era adjusted folks who are strongly in favor of John LeClaire making it, given when he played and the numbers he put up in the era he put them up. There are a few. I mean, that, look, there are. I'm not saying that he's not. He wouldn't be deserving. He's in. The, he's already in the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame to begin with. He's got a ring. And he does also. That's true. Um, there are a few names in for Hockey Hall of Fame that come to my mind before Leclerc that I think are long overdue. Um, if Fair. you, know, I, I'm pretty sure that the voting has already happened. And the decision's already been made on this type of stuff, and they're just announcing it this week. But I, I sure hope that. Alexander McGillney gets in. I hope that Rod Brindamore gets in. I think that there, I do think that even from a flyer standpoint, I think there is a strong case for Brian Prop to get in. Okay, fair enough. But I do hope that you know the first two I said better be in this class. But okay. But it, but 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 let's go back. So it is <laughs> back to the Leclerc hire. So it, like I said, it feels very old school. And considering that you have Keith Jones who played with him, and Sharp did briefly, like there's there's people who are gonna vouch for him and back this up and like that feels like the old way right like it really it's really doubling oh, here we go another vegas gambling term doubling it's really down. doubling down on what the flyers have already started um because on the surface when it was jones and briere I, I like when they like i when they made the announcement i wrote one day with no media availability and just the announcement that it felt too similar and then they had the press conference and it actually did feel a little different but at but at the same time, like, like it felt the same in a sense too, because it was done. That press conference was pomp and circumstance, and the, like, but they also officially termed it a rebuild and officially entered a new chapter, and we're trying to leave an old chapter behind. But now you can start to bridge together some of the things like that day with these hirings. Hilferty brought up the ex-player thing, and you know, like the two best candidates happen to be ex-flyers and Tortorella passionately defended it as only Torts can and now I think you know why because I think this is how they were going to approach this and in doing so this is what's really big this is where the double down thing really comes in for me that 
these aren't this isn't taking four people just four people and saying do the job you're taking four people that i think are popular with the fans in some capacity yep. jones beloved as a broadcaster and and in his brief time as a player like because he had a good personality for does him. anybody call him other than anything other than jonesy i don't think he wants to be called nope. anything other than jonesy it's like coatsy if think- you walked up to him and said hello keith do you th- like seriously. he'd look at you like you have I mean, four heads? Well, seriously, do you think you walk around and like when Steve Coates is parading around the building? Do you think anybody's called him Steve? Steve, hello, Mister Coates, sir. <laughs> like it, it's it's pretty easy. What's you know, hey Coatesy, you know, it, 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 this is Jonesy, you know, like that's the only way. Um, okay, so beyond that, Danny Briere, Mister Playoffs himself. Um, you know, LeClaire on the Legion of Doom was an absolute fan favorite. Yep. Sharp was maybe not necessarily didn't have the time to become like a fan favorite player per se, but was always one of those players that in years past, everybody was always sitting here going, well, look what he did. Look what he turned into. What we, what do we trade him for? And it was, and it's arguably one of the worst trades they've ever made in franchise sure. history because they got next to nothing back. I'm mean, what Matt Ellison played seven games. Yeah, but that's, yeah, that's a hindsight 2020 thing. It is, but nonetheless, um, yeah. so all of all four of them are putting it all on the line that this is going to work and there's no in between yep. it's either going to work and every person who says it's the old boys club they only hire former flyers they're all going to be completely silenced no it's, it's it the new boys club get it right well whatever but you know what i mean <laughs> no that's what i'm saying right, this right. this batch is the new boys club okay fine <laughs> The younger boys club. Um, oh, God, we we listen. We can't keep saying the younger boys club on a podcast. That's, that's true. Um, but it, they're everybody who says that is either going to be completely silenced, or this is going to fail spectacularly and prove everybody right. Right? I mean, like if it doesn't work, I can only imagine that it could end. Like the first thing that popped in my head when I'm thinking about these guys putting on the line is Ron Hextall, because. Think about from perception, his perception from hiring to, I guess, post-firing, if you will, as more comes right. out about the type of GM he was. Like, change it, right? Changes how you view him, doesn't it? Maybe and, a little, yeah. Well, I, I don't think people are pleased with him. That's like, fair. I, like, like, I think the day he came in, it was, yeah, he's a former flyer, but look what he did in L.A. This didn't work. And then as it didn't work, and then more stuff came out, it was like, oh, this guy was kind of awful. I might, I might die on the hill that that's not his fault. I don't think it's completely, but I do think there were things that, that I don't think that that's out there just to be out there. I think I know I understand. I but you, well, you know, you know why? I think it's out there because certain people want it out there. Per, per well, you, you know what? You no, know, hang on. I would have agreed with you fully if it was just here. Now that Pittsburgh has also gone the way that it did, I'm kind of thinking it wasn't a coincidence. Like if I it happens once, nothing, right? Like yeah, fool, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on you. It's me. a pattern. <laughs> like exactly, but and and like I don't remember. Did we did we start joking the same way? Because I had another. I'm in another group chat with friends from college, and we all immediately went into like I'll even read a couple of them really quick because it was too good not to like. Somebody turned around. Uh, one of my buddies goes, Jody Hull or da- Jody Hull or Dan McGillis next oh, in line. God. And now, by the way, do, do you remember around? I, I can't believe I'm going to bring this up on this podcast, but it you probably know what this is or you've probably heard of this. Do you remember how and I, I'm look, I'm going to show how 
old I am oh, and how I'm and, scared. No, like how old I am and how little I know about certain things in pop culture sides of things. Oh God, okay. Um, I guess there was a rap song that could be parodied. It was around the time of the 2010 Stanley Cup Final, and this local Philly rapper did a, a parody song called Briar Bets and Pronger. I have not. Nope. Okay. Never heard of that. I imagine it's. it's- not- friggin terrible it oh it's awful but it's it's also like a cult thing because i i was listening to my cousin from ben salem rapping around the same time (laughs) yeah i i know about what i'm listening what i'm expecting yeah okay well either way this was done this briere bets and pronger thing and that was the joke that i was making was that i'm like there's only one right answer Briere bets and because Briere's already there, so it was funnier to put. Let's do Blair bets and Chris uh, Pronger. Actually, Pronger that's, actually makes a half bit of sense. By the way, that's got to be Beamer Benz and Bentley, right? I think that's what. Okay, it, is. it has to be. Okay, and uh, <laughs> okay, well, at least you, okay, so at least at least you know the song. I don't even know, like I don't even know what the hell they're parodying. Um, I'll send you a link. <laughs> no, 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 I, like I've listened to this, so I know how it. Like I know the je- like. How it, okay, you know, okay. But, but, but I follow that up, right? But like I follow up and make the joke also, and go. But hey, while we're at it, let's see what Kent Manderville and Marty Murray are up to. Like, God. like, like it was just. But, but hey, is, uh, has anybody heard from Andy Delmore recently? Um, <laughs> he actually he was an assistant coach somewhere and had a health episode recently. Oh. He had a heart problem. Well, sheesh. That's, that's hope okay. Andy, hope that's, Andy Delmore is okay. That's okay. Um, you want to know what Marty Murray's doing? Because I actually do know the answer to that one. Okay. Marty Murray is the GM of the Brandon Wheat Kings, which if look, which by the way, okay, I don't think that what the Flyers need to do is hire somebody who's who's gonna be infatuated with the Brandon Who Wheat is Kings. responsible for Nolan Patrick? <laughs> or just who likes the Brandon right. Wheat Kings as much as Ron Hextall did. Right. <laughs> but God. either way, you get the point, right? Like that that is the running joke. And in all seriousness, you're kind of not wrong about Hey, by the way, Michael Renberg, if you're around, right, you might get a phone call. All right. You know, I, mean, I, I think that is a great place to put a pin in that. We will be back next week with a, a pre-draft show. Is there anything else we had to, to put a pin in this week? Or? Not really. I mean, okay. it's... We're getting off the rails here. We're two out. We're almost two hours in. We we're got through all of the a, stuff, though. We're getting into a summer show. It's not going to get more coherent from here folks but we will be back next week with a little bit of pre-draft coverage uh preview the trade window free agency opening up maybe a little bit we got a lot going on uh in the meantime make sure to follow us on twitter at ywt podcast follow kevin at kevin underscore derso uh follow us or find us everywhere you find your podcast facebook instagram podbean etc etc sportstalkphilly.com um subscribe to our youtube channel we're growing a little bit over there we're trying to get that those numbers pumped up and uh in the meantime that's it congrats again to vegas uh the 2023 season is a wrap uh we look forward to the off season Uh, the rebuild is already thoroughly on its way (laughs) and honestly by our next show travis connect might be gone so i I was gonna say if you were gonna hit me with the final thoughts of before we get out of here i was gonna give you just two words buckle up stay tuned (laughs) and we'll be back next week so until then two more words see ya